When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. In a sudden flash, it all comes clear. It's a eureka moment, an epiphany. Hi, I'm Marcus Smith, host of the Constant Wonder podcast. The world offers marvel, meaning, and mystery around every single corner. In nature, art, science, culture, history, we talk everything from bees and beetles to obelisks and asteroids. Experience the thrill of transformative encounter. We'll bring more wonder to your day. Listen to Constant Wonder wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to our New Year's Eve party down the pub. It is about as unparty like as you can imagine. No one's dressed up apart from James, who's wearing a hat, uh, because we've all decided that now Christmas is over and there's no sort of license to continually stuff our faces and drink a lot. That COVID land is shit and we can't be asked. Is that about the size of it? Yeah. 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 Pretty much. I'm wearing a collar. <laughs> it's indeed wearing a polo shirt, so. He gets gets some points. And Marcus has, of course, got his tiara on because I just don't think he's removed it uh, since he received <laughs> it. Okay. Uh, today, we are going to play Shag, Marry, Kill in a way that is hopefully going to be very funny. So you will get um, two people nominated to, uh, to you and you have to decide which of them you would shag and which of them you would marry. And I let you have your own go at Kill because I thought it would be funny if we plotted how we were going to do it as well. So you have to plan an assassination for the person you like least in the whole of history, uh, which would be great. So who's in the room today? We've got, like I said, we have got James with his Santa hat on. You are right, James? So I might sound a bit funny today. That's because I burned the inside of my mouth by accident. No, just a James, I thought that's what Brummie's voice sounded like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it didn't sound any different to us, James. Just no, so no, I was going to do a black country impersonation for you, Beth, but okay. <laughs> you wish. You wish. <laughs> you, you oh, how yam do no I am. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, James, I'd be careful because she has got you, so she's just going to make it work. <laughs> she's already said she's going to be evil anyway, so <laughs> I just think might as well get my digs in. Beth, has the notch of evil gone up a bit since that? Yeah, just a bit. I had plenty of options just to cover all of my bases, to see how people were, like, if they were going to be nice or whatnot. No, fuck it. (laughs) (laughs) Beth's going full angry yam yam now, which is going to be great. Dorman, how's Dublin? Uh, Good. I got a package from you, Alex, which was full of bar snacks. So I'm going to attempt to do my pitch while eating some of these. This is brilliant Um, because they are laced with reaper chilies from South Carolina. I I may die. Yeah. And if I do, I'm happy to do it surrounded by you idiots. Are you going to do the pork scratchings or the cashew nuts or whatever else, the rice crackers or whatever? I think this is just a generic trail mix. Well, trail, I know, hell, pass, I don't know. But I'll give these a go. Brilliant. Okay, so Dorman will be doing his whilst sucking down Reaper chilies. Which and it's okay, because I have a, a full mug of milk to go with it. <laughs> <laughs> and by a uh, full mug, he means his tiny little weird-ass Guinness mug from Christmas Eve. Uh, which, have you drunk everything out of that since you got it? No. 
<laughs> Otherwise, I'd be dehydrated and dead. Brilliant. Okay, Zach, are you feeling any more festive? No, don't be silly. Brilliant. Glad it's over. Oh, God, yes. The washing machine hasn't kind of done some miraculous Christmas miracle improvement, though. So It still doesn't wash anything. Pretty much. Does it still Waste of 250 quid, but hey, thanks, Becca. <laughs> Not that I'm bitter or anything. Oh, it's the fact that you spent £250 on it and you don't realise that's why it's as shit as it is. It's a new washing machine. I'm not interested in excuses. It needs to work. Hey, oh. let's get monkeys. <laughs> as you can hear, Marcus is in the room, right, Princess? Hello. Yeah, I've still got my tiara on. It, it really hurts to sleep in it, uh, but it, it's clean in the bath. Yeah, all good. Back to back to work this week. London's looking quiet and grey and cold, but um, otherwise all good. Thank you. Looking forward to tonight. I'm kind of excited to hear how the logic is about you going to work in the tourist industry in Tier 4, though. Uh, effectively providing security and maintenance, and the maintenance and security parts are both part of um, key working, essential working parts, apparently. And, yeah, there is, a, there is some stuff. We're definitely not open to the public right now, unfortunately. It's basically toilet cleaning by the sounds of it, isn't it? They're not in... um, yeah, my team kind of doing that whilst I'm sat there in a room looking at loads of cameras, trying to I was going to say, are you going to spend the whole thing just basically talking to the Napoleon busts? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I could do that. That'd be a whole stage of insanity, which is probably only about a week away, uh, when I think life in the museums come real and I'm being chased by Napoleon around the, around the house, yeah. Speaking of museum life, Chris Sams is dressed again uh, and is vowing <laughs> not to drink rum for a while after uh, Mankini Gate the other day. You all right, Chris? Yeah, not bad. How are you? Not bad. Uh, how is the War Museum? Um, pretty much the same as Marcus. I'm sat monitoring the CCTV for eight hours a day and um, filling out lots of paperwork <laughs> and just wasting time. But it's been like that for eight months now, so... It's, it's not too bad. Absolutely thrilling. Holmes, the bar snacks are back. Does this mean you've reached a fuck it level with COVID as well? <laughs> well, they came back for Christmas, but um, yeah, they've not actually. They've, we've not had that many actually. I think we've just caused on other shit, really. Yeah, I, do, I don't know about you. It's just like it becomes acceptable to eat fucking chocolate for breakfast and to just randomly eat like a multi-pack bag of kettle chips without thinking. Or this is supposed to be like four helpings. Yeah. It's, it's always it's, acceptable to have chocolate for breakfast. What what planet do you live on where it's not? <laughs> but bizarrely, I had a prawn cocktail for breakfast yesterday. Oh, I bet you smelt lovely. Oh. Well, <laughs> at my age, you don't really care about stuff like that. And it was going out of date today, so I thought I'd take one for the team. That's was the thing, that, isn't it? It gets, about, you get Christmas Day, and then you get Boxing Day, and then you get today, where it's like, oh, it's really the last day we should be eating the turkey. So you end up eating, like, five meals because everything's going out of date, unless you're kit who is sitting in a Holiday Inn Express with no Christmas leftovers and no immediate No, no I've been ordering takeouts because the takeout is actually cheaper than the food here. So I've just been eating pizza a lot. What does Zach's t-shirt say? I'm not sarcastic. I'm just intelligent beyond your understanding. Brilliant. We all need one of those. Uh, okay, who else is in the room? We have Lockie has just joined us. It's Lion King Christmas jumper. Are you all right, Lockie? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, how's everyone? 
Um, uh, we've decided we're all miserable. Oh, shit. Should I take off the Lion King Christmas jumper? No, no. <laughs> go with it. <laughs> Beth would like you to take it off, but that's a whole different story. How's your dad? Happy birthday, Daddy Lockie. Yeah, Terry's fine. Um, he was... Uh, <laughs> He went for a walk today, which was a bit chilly, but um, is, a, is a nice thing to do. Um, he, he has the same thing that everyone who has a birthday around Christmas has, in that he's pretty much had all his presents um, kind of on Christmas. Um, but he liked the one me and my brother got him, which was like a, a Zulu diorama uh, of like a, the, the building representing the hospital and like a, a mealy bag redoubt and, and some other sandbags and, um, and some red coats running around. All we need now is a few thousand Zulu little figurines to get in <laughs> outstanding that should keep him busy fantastic okay we also have charlie in the house You're right charlie yeah i'm good how are you uh, i'm trying to be positive but failing miserably i'm not good i'm pissed off i'd like quite like to get out of the country let alone out of a flat um yeah no yeah drunk that much gin that i've got heartburn which i don't think is a good sign Ooh. well i'm working my way through the wine but i got given the new edit of Godfather 3 for Christmas. There's a brand new edit that Coppola's done. So I thought I should do a refresher course. So I'm feeling... Yeah. Is it any less shit than the original edit? Well, I haven't seen it yet, so I'm really... That's the next thing. We, we finished watching Godfather 2 today, and I'm still, I'm still not even over that. Um, but I think I can speak Italian now, but I can't. <laughs> Brilliant. <laughs> okay, uh, you have Mr. Mr. Charlie's with you today. You're right, Chris. Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, we uh, attempted to go somewhere today and walk without people, but the car park was so full of cars. We turned around and left. We couldn't get in the car park. We couldn't get in the car park, and it was like 15 <laughs> minutes from our house. So... How 2020 is that? We just wanted to go for a nice walk with some Change friends. Change of scenery. Nah. No. Fuck 2020. Yeah. And we have Clive. Clive, how are you? Very well, Alex. I've got feathers coming out of every single possible part of my house. This is brilliant. <laughs> so your daughters took the bum white feathers I sent you for Secret Santa and basically decorated your house with them. And every yes. time your daughters got drunk, they utilised sort of sticking them in your hair and stuff, didn't they? Luckily, they didn't do it in my hair because it's too short to stick feathers in, but they stuck it in their own hair and in their mother's hair. Did not enough you use them, Clive. <laughs> <laughs> I rinse. I rinse them afterwards. Uh, does Mrs. Clive know what they were for? I have explained, and she kind of gave a rather, how do we say, disapproving expression, and left it at that. She didn't inquire further. I think she's probably learned it's just best not to ask what goes on in these pub chats anymore. Hasn't I she? think so. We also have Kate Spooner with us in Spain. You're right, Kate. Hello. Yeah, I'm good. Thanks. Any less shit face this time? Yeah, a lot less shit-faced this time. A lot <laughs> less shit-faced. I, ha- I am on the Armagnac now, which is nice, but um, definitely less shit-faced. And Spain's still pretending coronavirus doesn't exist, so that's nice. Brilliant. Uh, and Alina. Alina's kind of here, but not really, because Johnny's not turning up. So what's she going to do? I might kill someone for fun. Okay, yeah, you can still do your kill thing, can't you? Yeah. Excellent. You can kill two people because you've been cut short. Does that mean I can do something depressing? No. Damn. Okay. <laughs> no. <laughs> right, okay. Uh, let's get started. I've got no idea how this is going to work. Let's just go around the room. So uh, let's start with Clive. Clive, who have you got? I've got Kit. 
Excellent. So, <laughs> <laughs> who give Kit his choice between Shag and Mary? Who is okay, got- Kit? I, I've I've had to think long and hard because I needed to get people that you would know and know well. But particularly, I didn't want to, want to have to describe who they were. I'd prefer you to know more about them than I do, and therefore I went with Alistair Crowley and Rasputin. Oh, okay. So those are my shag and, and marries. Do you want to say more about them or shall I? I think you know more about them than I do, thank goodness. Well, Alistair Crowley was a British uh, occultist, is the only way to put him, really. He founded something called Thelema, um, and he was into sex magic. He, <laughs> out a, um, uh, he is probably the, the largest proponent of sex magic and modern sort of neo-paganism. Uh, he inspired people like Jack Parsons, who I've previously spoken about on this podcast, uh, very strange chap, uh, full of E2O. Um, that was his, that was his thing, uh, Thelema E2O. And he was bold as a coot. Um, fascinating man. Uh, Rasputin, Rara Rasputin, lover of the Russian queen, um, was a mystic who claimed that he could treat haemophilia, uh, for the, uh, the young, um, uh, prince of, uh, whose name I can't remember, but someone on here will know. Thank you very much. Um, and probably had it off with, uh, with, uh, well, certainly the rumors were that he had it off with the, um, Various members of the uh, the household, um, whether or not he had the with the queen, I doubt. But it was certainly said at the time by uh, by Russian propagandists. Um, most famous for his fantastic death, um, in which he was. Uh, I've got to get this right. He was poisoned, and then shot, and then thrown in the river. Is that right? Yeah. Poisoned twice. But okay. still breathing. Yeah. The autopsy so, are he was still breathing. They poison the wine and they poison the food. So here's my dilemma. Do I go with Crowley for the sex because he was clearly into it and clearly up for pretty much anything? Or do I go for Rasputin because of his staying power? Well, I Uh, think you have to say, Kit, that Rasputin was famous for never washing. Oh, oh, okay. He believed in, like, like Brad Pitt, believed in, like, his own musky aura and was therefore (laughs) filthy all of the time. Um, so I would probably think twice about repeatedly going there, but this is your choice. Well, if, get, if, you get, if you get married to him, you could always mend his ways for him. I mean, that's what my wife did. Well, <laughs> the one thing that uh, the the one thing that um, that Alistair Crowley is very famous for is basically not being too worried about the whole marriage concept and sleeping around. So I am going to shag Rasputin and marry Alistair Crowley, knowing that I can basically date whoever I want and he doesn't give a shit. (laughs) Outstanding. (laughs) It's a reasonable choice as well. And it means that uh, if Rasputin really does stink or he really was hung like a horse, you need only suffer once. (laughs) (laughs) So who did you decide to kill? Uh, so I decided to kill. Um, I was torn. I was going to pick a guy, a very horrible chap called uh, called Gilles de Rees, who was uh, uh, one of the commanders of, uh, of Joan of Arc's army and retired and basically became a serial paedophile and murdered uh, some six hundred children. Um, there's a lot of people like that in history, but uh, I particularly hate him because in 1992 uh, the French got together with the, the Parliament and judges, no historians involved, and despite eyewitness testimony, the testimony of himself, personal confession, confessions of all of his members of staff and local villagers saying that this happened to their children, the court found him innocent of the crime. Um, 
because you didn't involve historians. But my actual pick is going to be Leopold II, King of the Belgians. Uh, so, there's a lot of uh, Africans that might be up for this one. And how are you going to do it? Uh, yeah. Do, I, do you want me to say a little bit about Leopold? Yeah, go for it. Explain why he des- I mean, he definitely, as, as far as I'm concerned, everyone else is here is nodding, deserves what's coming to him. Uh, so tell us why and then how you'd off him. So Leopold II, um, he, uh, there, was a, there was a big meeting of the foreign powers trying to divvy up Africa, essentially. And Leopold II was the constitutional monarch of Belgium. And he came up and said, guys, I've got a brilliant idea. There's this big couple of million square mile area um, of the of Africa you haven't given to anyone. It's called the Congo. Um, why don't you give it to me? And I will do philanthropy there. I will be altruistic. I will look after the place for you. And for some batshit reason, everybody agreed to do this. What they didn't realise was that Leopold had ambitions of basically being a colonial monarch. And so he was given absolute authority of, the, of what became the Belgian Congo. It was then the Congo Free State. And he just basically exploited it. And when I say exploited it, he ordered people to uh, repeatedly uh, get rubber, uh, to dry the rubber on their skin. They would have to rub it on there and then pull it off. He didn't care if the hair and the flesh came off with him. He would set impossible quotas. And if those quotas weren't met, the person was executed. He suddenly turned the entire Congo Free State into a forced labor camp. Because people were being executed and they didn't want to die, um, they would actually go out on hunting parties and the sign of someone being executed was you presented their hand as evidence. Well, people re- realised that rather than not meet their quotas, it was better to go to the neighbouring village, hack off somebody's hand and just hand that in and say, don't worry, we killed the person for you. Uh, an estimated 10 million uh, Congolese were murdered or killed during, um, or otherwise died of disease uh, during Leopold's reign. Um, and the worst part is he got away with it. Um, when he finally was stripped from power, In the early 20th century, the Belgians took over and ran the Belgian Congo. Nothing happened to Leopold. He died the next year. Um, What he did was essentially a war crime. Um, If you've ever read the book Heart of Darkness, that is actually about a trip up the uh, the River Congo, um, having a look at some of the atrocities he committed. How many deaths was he responsible for? At least 10 million. Yeah, it's hard to dispute that he deserves a particularly sticky end, isn't it? I actually just got for Christmas that book, King Leopold's Ghost, which I'm saving for when I'm not in quite such a bad mood because I don't think it's going to help. If you had to do it a comedy way, what would you do? Comedy way? I would um, I would get all of the hands that have been locked off in, in Belgium and, you know, like Scrooge McDuck, I would literally force him to jump into the puddle of hands and suffocate to death. <laughs> that's a good one I like that or um, mount them on sticks and slap him to death <laughs> that is a lot of slapping yeah um, or maybe just getting everyone in the Congo who lost a hand because they've still got another one to just slap him like you've been tangoed by 10 million Congolese yeah. or they can use their surviving hand to do whatever they want to him <laughs> that'll be interesting uh, yeah let's go with that just the hand no implements in the hand but you've got one hand left do with it what you will. What would you do with, with one hand to, to Leopold, King of the Belgians, then, Alex? <laughs> um, There's scope for pinching, isn't there, really? There is. It's, it's hard not to say fisting him, really, isn't it? Is that not just, like, the meanest thing you could think of to do with your hand without actually equipping it with anything? 
Well, if he was tied down, what I'd probably do is I'd just go into his ear hole and just go, because <laughs> that's so bloody annoying. And if 10 million people did that, it'd go crazy. This is true. So Kit is going to shag Rasputin, marry Alistair Crowley, and off King Leopold of the Belgians. Uh, so I'm Leopold II. I've got no problem with Leopold. Leopold II. Leopold II. I, I was slightly confused by Alistair Crowley and Kit's references to sex magic. Is that like normal magic, but a bigger scale? So it's like, is this your card? Oh, oh hang on, it's covered in shit. Is it that type of thing? or? No. Um, so so a good example of sex magic would be, as I mentioned, Jack Parsons, when he uh, he masturbated repeatedly to summon the Scarlet Woman who would come and do his bidding. I saw um, Paul, Daniel, Paul Daniels did that in his Bunko booth, 1984. I'm sure he did. Yeah, it's kind of like the aristocrats version of Paul Daniels. <laughs> if people get that reference. <laughs> so Some people not, did. It's not, it's not actual sleight of hand magic, though. It's just bullshit. Sounds <laughs> um, so yeah, disappointed, exactly. Holmes. Yeah. It, it is pretty much bullshit, but, uh, but, but certainly he believed it. Okay, cool. Right, let's move on to... Uh, let's go to Princess... Because he might have to duck off tonight because he's got to be up so early for work. It's true. It's true. They're doing, giving us long shifts. It's okay. Get them up. I've noticed there. it hasn't stopped you while drinking the gin and tonics, though. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, the day without gin and tonic is a day wasted, is my motto. This is true. Who, so, who have you got? So, I've got Zach. We're going around the, we're going around the room. Um, it had to be Napoleonic. I mean, Zach didn't ring me up this week like when I had uh, last week and go, please give me Wellington. So he doesn't want to shag Wellington. Um, <laughs> so I thought the, the closest um, thing really for that is uh, uh, Grassini, the opera singer. Giuseppe Grassini, which gives him a nice dilemma because Grassini slept with both Wellington and Napoleon. So you got some, uh, you got some sloppy seconds there. And then... <laughs> And then to mix it up even more into his uh, Napoleon, I mean, I was going to choose Harriet Wilson, who was uh, kind of famously calls the the publisher be damn memoirs because she was black. Well, her publicist was blackmailing uh, Wellington. But I thought actually, kind of the the let's say liberal, no slut shaming here, most liberal member of the Bonaparte family, uh, Pauline Bonaparte. So was married, but basically did whatever the hell she wanted with anyone um, going. And uh, obviously, Zach's a deep romantic. We know that from his uh, love affair with his washing machine. So, um, yeah, we've got Grassini, the opera singer, and mistress of both Napoleon and Wellington. Uh, she's quite a fascinating character in her own right. I think she deserves her own series, episode, anything. Uh, and then uh, Pauline Bonaparte, um, who possibly also slept with Wellington, actually. There's a lot of rumours there. At least he bought her house. It's a nice little twist. Oh, those all hot. Okay, Zach, take your pick and give us your This is wonderful because the other day he uh, described me as Jerome Bonaparte, which basically means if I went for Pauline, well, either way, if I go for Pauline, I'm basically committing incest. So thank you for this wonderful dilemma, Marcus. (laughs) Um, I'll be honest, I don't know enough about either of these to be able to say much uh, about which is preferable. I mean, Um, are you going to go then for the one that's least likely to give you an STD? Yeah, but that who is that? that down at all. To be honest, <laughs> that, that, that's, this is the issue. That, I was a strong contender. Also, um, I imagine living with an opera singer would be slightly irritating after a while. 
Well, she'd probably sing the Go Compare advert at me the whole time, wouldn't she? Yeah, that wouldn't be annoying. No, because it would have reminded you you should have gone on Go Compare to see which offered the best value washing machine. <laughs> see, I prefer Meerkat. Uh, let's say Grissini on the basis that she, as far as I'm aware, slept with marginally fewer people than Pauline Bonaparte, who seems to have slept with most people of significance in the early 19th century and so therefore is less likely to give me some kind of Im- unpleasant infection. So um, actually that doesn't know. So what am I talking about? That doesn't even work because I've got to shag one and marry the other. Well, um, does marriage equal sex? Does it, I mean, depends if it's consummated or not. <laughs> I mean, you that can have a permanent headache. You can try. The only thing Bonaparte is it doesn't necessarily mean sex with her, but she still gets to have sex. This, this is good thinking. So on that basis, I'll marry Pauline Bonaparte with the express intention of never going near her with a barge pole and therefore bang Grassini on the basis that of the prospect of the two giving me an STI, she's the less likely. This is the chapter of your thesis you're working on at the moment, right, Zach? It is. <laughs> it's, it's, also, two weevils. it's also how he approaches all his courtship decisions in the modern day as well. Exactly the same analysis. <laughs> Spin cycle or extra bubbles. <laughs> right, Zach, apart from Marcus, who are you going to off? Uh, well, I kind of screwed this one up slightly very sorry because i misunderstood the memo um so the kill was kind of difficult because my understanding was that we had to make this credible and my choice is therefore going to surprise you and it might make marcus cry or at the very least throw his tiara across the room um so i didn't pick out somebody who i hate the most i don't actually have an axe to grind with this person Generally speaking, I like them, profoundly respect their achievements in history, and think that, broadly speaking, history was better off as a result of what they did with their life than if they'd been bumped off early. It's not going to be but... Hitler, is it? <laughs> <laughs> I'm leaving that for James. <laughs> but I fixated on the fact that you wanted me to kill somebody in a convincing way and get away with it. So I spent the last couple of days planning the murder of Arthur Wellesley, the first Duke of Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> This I and Marcus is just spat his gin all over the camera. Oh, you misunderstood the brief, man. <laughs> That's a bit like planning to rob his house. I mean, sorry, no. <laughs> <laughs> Haven't you done that already? <laughs> yeah, that, that's a that's a familiar looking bust of Napoleon on your windowsill, Marcus. Uh, <laughs> that's a lie. If Marcus's employers are listening, uh, there is, yeah. and it and it's a statue, uh, Zach. Go on, I want to hear this now. How are you going to get away with killing the Duke of Wellington? Right, well, I say I've spent the last couple of days planning this. To be honest, it only took me about 10 minutes. The challenge was trying to work out if I could come up with a credible plan of killing anyone else. Napoleon 1812 was a definite contender, maybe early in the Russian campaign, shoot him in a battle. But Bernard Cornwell wrote that kind of thing uh, in Sharp's Waterloo when he suggests that his fictitious rifle officer takes a pot shot at the Prince of Orange. And much though I am the resident pub thief, I leave sting plots from novels or computer games to James. So I didn't go for that one. <laughs> How do you kill Wellington then? Well, like all figures in history, it usually helps to whack them early when they aren't significant people with large entourages and protection details. There are a few things that you could try, maybe a knife in a dark alley as he returns home from a house of pleasure, perhaps. 
But Wellington, whilst he liked his affairs and certainly had an illegitimate child early in his life, doesn't really seem to have frequented brothels. He wasn't much of an excessive drinker either, so it would be hard to pass off some kind of poison in his wine as alcoholism. Instead, I drew on the philosophy of the author Lee Child, who once wrote, where is the best place to hide a grain of sand? On the beach. By that way of thinking, to hide a murder is... By that way of thinking, the best way to hide a murder is to make it look like the death wasn't entirely intended. And so I came up with the duelling option. Now, duelling was a very common thing in the 18th and early 19th century. A lot of the rationale behind it was centred on notions of honour. If someone insulted you, it was deemed necessary to prove your masculinity by engaging in a duel, showing that you were willing to defend yourself and were not fearful of your opponent. To refuse a challenge to a duel suggested a lack of manly resolve, and you were basically being shamed before society. There was a snag, though, which is that if you killed someone, it was technically murder. And this is where Wellington comes in, because if you killed someone in a duel in the army, you could quite easily get away with it. Sure, you'd be brought before a military court, but nobody present at that duel would want to testify because dueling was explicitly forbidden under military law. If you carried a challenge to a duel, you could lose your commission as an officer. If you were a second in the duel, you could lose your commission. If you allowed a duel to happen, i.e. you didn't grasp on the people who were taking part, you were complicit and could lose your commission. So what you find is that dueling trials consistently fell through on the simple basis that no one was willing to testify and implicate themselves in the process. The best place to hide a grain of sand is on a beach. On the 23rd of January 1788, Arthur Wesley, he wasn't even Wellesley back then because the family hadn't changed its name, was gazetted lieutenant in the 41st foot. Lieutenants were consistently the most tried officer rank in the army, and dueling between lieutenants and ensigns was not unusual. He divided his time between regimental duties and serving as aide-de-camp to the Lord Lieutenant of Ireland. All that therefore need be done to secure a commission is to, to murder him is to secure a commission in any one of the regiments posted in Ireland in 1788. That could be done by purchase because commissions could be sold during this period and then secure leave to Dublin. Once there, at a public evening event, an argument could be started with the young Wesley. He was 19. No one would be surprised if a teenager had a disagreement with someone who looked like me, um, who has kind of looked 17 for the past decade. A challenge would be issued and Wesley would be forced to accept. To do otherwise would have been a kind of a social and career suicide. Besides, we know he would have accepted. He fought a farcical duel with the Earl of Winchelsea in March 1829. Trapped into a duel, the obvious thing to do would be to choose an exchange of pistol shots. This represents the smallest possible danger because Wellington was a notoriously poor shot. I think he even said so himself. Sure, some of the training would be needed. Sorry, I'm screwing up the delivery list. Sure, some training would be needed to shoot to kill him with the shot, but a bullet to the torso would likely kill him due to infection. And if you really want me to be sure about it, um, then... You know, if I didn't shoot him in, in the, the head or the heart, I suppose we could dip the bullet in crap before loading to in, ensure that subsequent infection. And that would be that. Arthur Wesley would never have become the Duke of Wellington. 
He would never lead the British army to success in the Peninsula War, never play a pivotal role in the defeat of Napoleon at Waterloo, and would never oppose electoral reform or bring in the Catholic Emancipation Act. But as far as I understood at the time, you didn't want me to make history better with my murder. You asked for a credible plot to kill someone and get away with it. So in Cluedo fashion, I give you Zach White killing Arthur Wesley with the pistol in a field outside Dublin. Do you know what I want to know, though, is what would Marcus be doing with his life if the Duke of Wellington had never been made the Duke of Wellington and never bought Apsley House and never fought at Waterloo? What would Marcus be doing? Probably lying in a gutter somewhere. Yeah, he's Assassin's Creed, which is ironically all he's done during furlough. You take Wellington out of his life and he's got nothing else. That's not true. I also did podcasts. <laughs> About I'd probably still be working on uh, HMS Warrior, HMS Victory, which uh, yeah, Nelson's just nowhere near as interesting. So that was a very strange end to our friendship. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, do you think Zach's getting away with it? I was slightly confused why he's, you know, he kept going back to this reference about it being like a grain of sand on a beach where there's like billions of grains of sand. But I mean, surely you would have to have a duel with loads of other duels going on around you to make that analogy work. <laughs> Dueling was quite common during this period, whether between gentlemen or between army officers. Army officers seem to have been a bit more inclined to duel on the whole. And you get a lot of trials for dueling. So duels were, were commonplace. That wouldn't be the rare thing. Equally, when people died from a an exchange of bullets what you then find is that people don't get prosecuted it's obvious that they've been shot it's obvious that they were murdered but nobody's willing to testify so everybody can see what's been done but nobody can do anything about it so you get away with it i mean the strangest thing of this is there was an assassination attempt against the duke it just turned it seems to turn out that the guy either completely missed even though he fired almost point blank with a pistol or didn't load the musket ball into the pistol which is how he got away with it so if you wanted to do that, you just got to make sure this guy had a loaded pistol. I think it was late 1820s in, uh, in Paris. And, you just uh, got to stand over his shoulder and the boy dickhead put the musket ball in. <laughs> it's like telling Baldrick. Like, oh, it's going to go in there. Brilliant. OK, so Zach is going to shag Rossini, marry Pauline Bonaparte, his sister, and uh, <laughs> going to off the Duke of Wellington, which is going to make you popular with some crazy French people on Twitter that Marcus is friends with. Uh, right, okay. I'm going to bring Alina in next. We, Alina, Johnny's not here, but who did you have for Shag or Marry? Because I'm going to let Holmes decide for him. Oh, uh, hold on. I've just thrown the piece of paper away. Wait one minute. Here we go. Here we go. Right. Okay. So I had for Shag and Marry just for fun. Uh, you all know Marianne Cotton. Don't have to kind of describe who she was. And, um, just for fun, the lady who likes to bathe in bloods of virgins, uh, Elizabeth Batore, the, the countess, the Hungarian countess. So he'd need to choose between those two. Oh, James does not look happy with that. Just no, out no, no, Marianne no, no, no. Cotton for, uh, the listeners who don't know who she is. So Marianne Cotton was a serial killer, basically. Uh, a lovely lady. Um, who went around killing people and her f- families and her husbands and children and all sorts of things. So the, they don't know how many she killed in the end, but yeah. yeah. Serial killer. So blood bathing lady or serial killer? 
Well, blood-bathing ladies are serial killer as well, although it's probably been highly inflated. I mean, her family, did they not brick her up in a room and let her die eventually because they were so fed up with her? Yeah, she died in isolation, I think. Or what, I don't know, whatever it was. But they were, they, I thought they were pretty cool choices. Didn't she only become a serial killer after her husband died? Didn't James argue her? Uh, James, didn't you argue her? I no, did. I didn't argue. I no. did ages ago. Oh, yeah, there you go. Alex, you should know the answer to that. Yeah, but I I only read Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Holmes, which one? Go on, pick for Johnny. Yeah, it's a bit of a difficult one because I don't I've not heard of either really. But from what I can tell from that brief description, there's like a serial killer and then another serial killer who bathes in blood. That's what the choice has come down to. Yeah, pretty much. So family killing serial killer or blood bathing serial killer? Blood bathing, murdering young women. Johnny has never. Never suggested to me at all he's got a thing for serial killers, but I know he does like a bath. So I could see him getting really annoyed if every time he had his bath, and he tends to have one once a day now, um, he has to clean up a load of blood first. So on that basis, I don't think he could marry the blood bath lady. That would have to be the shag choice. And then he would have to marry Mary Ann Cotton. And hopefully kill her off and bury her under a patio somewhere, do everyone a favour. Yeah. Okay, brilliant. We'll uh, text him to let him know the choices. Alina, I said, we all know that it would be quite nice to take Joseph Mengele and let everyone carry out all of the experiments he ordered on everyone else on him before finally caving his head in with a rock. But that's not funny. So uh, who have you decided to kill? Right. So I thought I would start with a story. Because that would just be a little bit more interesting. So... A young mouse in search of an adventure was running along the bank of a pond where lived a frog. When the frog saw the mouse, he swam to the bank and croaked. Won't you pay me a visit? I can promise you a good time if you do. The mouse did not need much coaxing for he was very anxious to see the world and everything in it. But though he could swim a little, he did not dare risk going into a pond without some help. The frog had a plan. He tied the mouse's leg to his own with a tough reed. Then into the pond he jumped, dragging his foolish companion with him. The mouse soon had enough of it and wanted to return to shore. But the treacherous frog had other plans. He pulled the mouse down under the water and drowned him. But before he could untie the reed that bound him to the dead mouse, a hawk came sailing over the pond. Seeing the body of the mouse floating on the water, the hawk stooped down, seized the mouse and carried it off with the frog dangling from its leg. Thus, at one swoop, he had caught both meat and fish for his dinner. The moral of the story is, those who seek to harm others often come to harm themselves through their own deceit. Yeah. Anyone Anyone can guess where I'm going with this? <laughs> <laughs> anyone. None of you. None of you know what I'm talking about. No. It's Polish. We'll just say it out loud. No. It is nothing to do with Polish. Oh my God, you're all so lame. So it's a moral of a story. Anyone? No. Ponds with a frog? Aesop's fables, people. Aesop? You want to kill Aesop? Yes, for fun. Right? Because imagine if he doesn't exist, morality can be challenged around the world. But you think that the world's religions base their morality on Aesop's fables? Totally. <laughs> <laughs> he made if, some compelling if, arguments. You can take the piss, Kip. When was the last time you saw a fox eat some grapes? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. 
can't remember exactly. the tortoise beat a hair. I mean, it's for fun. I thought I'd kill Aesop um, just as a laugh because again, I wasn't allowed to do anything depressing. So um, I thought I'd go out of the box a little bit and make people laugh instead <laughs> of cry with my former one. So Aesop, what would I do? So who was he? He was a guy from like ancient Greek times. So really old stuff. And he was apparently a slave, but he's like mentioned in loads of like historical stuff. Anyway, so I would make friends with his master who apparently was, and I'm going to totally pronounce this wrong, uh, Xanthus, and he lived in Samos. So what I would do, because I'm not obviously a horrible killer and I can't do things like some of you lot with your brutal methods, I would go and get some hemlock and put it in his drink and poison him instead because... I can't deal with none of this blood and guts and all this kind of stuff. So with his master, I would offer him a drink of hemlock and that's it. <laughs> Is there not a risk that if you didn't get the exact right amount of hemlock, he might have lived and then you would form the basis of another one of his fables? That is also true. So there we go. That's who I would kill. Poison is a woman's weapon. Uh, well done. Right. Okay. Uh, should we pause for drinks and then come back? Let's do that. I'm going to go to Dorman next because I want to see him. Uh, not for the Kate one. You can do that later because you might need some more time. But you had Marcus, didn't you? Yeah. And also I want to see you eat the Reaper chili stuff. Okay. Uh, so let me get a handful of these out first. These are the only sweets I've ever eaten that have a warning label on them. Um, or not even sweets. Oh my god, okay. Sorry, I just put a crumb in my mouth. That was a bad idea. Oh. Right. Let the prosecution show that there's plenty in there. Here we go. Oh my god. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. <laughs> South Carolina Reaper chilies, right? Fuck. Oh, okay. So, Marcus. <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> hey, he's using the little Guinness cup. If you don't want the good fish monarchy to come and uh, take over your country again, just give us an objection now. Marcus, I can't afford this kind of chatter. Um... <laughs> it's so powerful, it's cleaned up his accent. <laughs> <laughs> we were you speaking English, he just did it to wind us up. The choice I'm offering you is either Joan of Arc, when she's of age, or Countess Markovich. Okay? So, Joan of Arc, obviously, um, very familiar character, warrior woman, woman, peasant girl, uh, came from nothing, uh, worked her way through the ranks, uh, possibly heard voices of God, that could be, I don't know, kinky or something. Um... We know she made a career out of kicking English arse, which is obviously a bit of a turn-off for you, but she did lead men in battle, which is a bit of a turn-on for you. And based on her trial, she is fairly good at dirty talk. Uh, do you swear to speak the truth and answer to such questions as are put to you? Joan, I do not know what you wish to examine me on. Perhaps you might ask such things that I would not tell. Hmm. Will you... Fuck, it's gone down my throat. <laughs> Did she say that in a trial? <laughs> Alex, this is awful. Yeah, no, my, my, my kill is suicide. Um, so if you're in for a, a, a spicy, no pun intended, time, 
you've Joan of Arc, or alternatively, Countess Markovic, uh, first female MP in British history, shot a policeman in the back, which is obviously not good, but she is Irish, which is obviously good. Uh, she took part in the 1916 Rising, which was probably the finest military operation of all time. Um, at one point, she was sentenced to be executed by firing squad. Uh, and when she learned her sentence was going to be commuted to a lifetime of hard labor because of her gender, she told the prosecuting attorneys to man up and shoot her. Uh, again, that could be harnessed in the bedroom. And during a state visit, uh, a loyalist once whacked her with a British flag, but the flagpole shattered on her. So, you know, she's going to be a good time. And <laughs> after she surrendered during 1916, she kissed her revolver before handing it over. Make of that what you will. So uh, those are your choices, Marcus. Please talk for a long time. <laughs> he sounds genuinely in pain. <laughs> um, oh, just another I mean, reason to love South Carolina. What I love is that he's given you, he, he knows you so well, you've got a choice between an Irish person or a French person, which for the most English person I've ever met in my life uh, is quite comedy. I mean, much like Wellington, I've got nothing against the French. It's just, uh, it's just the Bonapartism, which now includes Zach, um, <laughs> uh, which is which has been a really strange twist tonight. Um, yeah, you you kind of done a job trying to sell them to me, which is quite interesting. I mean, yeah, Joan. Obviously, I think today we'd call it uh, mental health issues, but was a military commander, uh, undisputedly pretty good. And Countess Markovic, I've got nothing good to say for her really. Um, uh, sorry, your, your plus point being she did a successful terrorist uh, attack isn't really the biggest uh, plus point in my uh, in my king. Military operation, Marcus. You, you made a mistake there. I corrected you. Don't worry. Sorry. Yes, um, terrorist attack. And um, so, um, but yeah, but she does sound like she is uh, kinky, and um, I think that that sounds like you turn around and go, yeah, well, I had her. Uh, would be quite fun. So uh, shag the Countess and marry Joan of Arc and have spend long, long nights talking about military strategy would be um, what Dorman, I think he's trying to steer me into in some weird fetish of his. I mean, oh, I'm, I'm, not sure there's, I'm not sure there's that much science behind Dorman's claim that if you can break a flagpole on their back, they're a bit dirty. That's what I took from them. <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't you like to try it? <laughs> okay. If you end up home? married to uh, Joan of Arc, you can try and turn her as well so that she is totally pro-English just for shits and giggles. Yeah, a couple of gin and tonics and like a couple of viewings of like Master and Commander. She'll be fine. <laughs> You're right, um, Norman. Shall I do... breathe again, yeah? No. What are you <laughs> recovering? Shall I, shall I do my kill? Yes, do your kill. It's not particularly amusing. I haven't really gone for much. So I... I thought, because Zach especially was expecting me to go for Napoleon, um, Zach's new idol. Um, I thought I'd go for somebody who's pretty much obscure, but um, embodies everything that I, I hate in history. Uh, yeah, that cup's not going to be any good, Dorman. That cup's good for nothing. Um, <laughs> so, I, I, I've gone for somebody that I can almost guarantee that no one's heard of. Uh, Maurice de Tascher. Uh, Maurice de Tascher was a French officer of um, of the Imperial Army and distantly related to Josephine Bonaparte. Uh, but what I really hate about him is he wrote long memoirs, and yeah, it's not as bad as Shakespeare or anything crap, but 
um, what we do have is some cyber, um, but what we do have is some of his first-hand accounts of his time in Spain and Portugal. Now, this was not a lad's holiday going drinking. This was him embodying just the worst of everything. So I have a quote here where he said, um, it basically, they went into a Spanish uh, town of Coboda on the 30th of June, 1808. The cathedral and the sacred lives within were not spared, which made the Spanish look upon us in horror saying out loud that they would prefer that we violated their women than violate their churches. We did both. The convents had to suffer the debauchery that was invented and the outrage of the soldiers given upon himself. So, um, yeah, he basically admits uh, war crimes on the uh, defenseless women and the church because he thinks it would really um, help his cause. So uh, I think he deserves to be kind of burnt inside his own church, a bit like um, the Patriot. Um, yeah, one of the worst films ever made, but it does give us uh, a delicious bad. So, one of the best war films ever made. Sorry, I'm just putting in a correction. <laughs> Thanks, Chris. Yeah, so um, just just to kind of embody everything that, that's bad about war, and um, you know, it's too easy to glorify it. But uh, a French officer who who openly admitted war crimes and was promoted uh, for his part within the wars, and uh, I think partially also. Josephine Bonaparte, and she's pretty useless anyway. Um, so uh, Maurice de Tasha, yeah, I would, I'd burn him inside the church that's already burning, kind of chuck him inside there. That's some weird sacrilegious stuff after Andy's burning mouth. <laughs> He's now, Dorman is now. I mean, alternatively, if you want to burn it. somebody, I think I could just chuck him down Andy's throat right now, and they'd suffer a fiery death. <laughs> So I'm reading some Icelandic noir book and someone got murdered by uh, having someone shove a curling tong switched on down their throat in the bit I was reading last night. And I'm kind of thinking that's what she looked like, is what Dorman looks like right now. This is so lame. (laughs) (laughs) And my fucking mug's empty. (laughs) It's only a tiny one. (laughs) It's a tiny mug. <laughs> Dorman, Dorman, you've at least got to finish oh, one bag of those things. Fuck off! Has Ireland not suffered enough? He says. It was sent from England, so I think it's hate crime from London. <laughs> now I'm sending a package back. <laughs> oh. This is oh, what happened when uh, Dorman writes in the Secret Santa request box that he likes snacks from around the world. <laughs> Yeah, I meant around the world in like, you know, oh, maybe there's some <laughs> cute American sweets or something, not these hell sticks. <laughs> <laughs> At least you have a new act, Storman. Oh yeah, killing show. myself on stage slowly. That's a great way to finish a show. Yeah. I send you my pictures from the South Carolina State Fair as well. That's a whole load of material right there. <laughs> for experience and a for the, for the listeners, that was a thumbs up. Yeah. <laughs> I don't the medium of audio only. Yeah. <laughs> I'm gonna lie down. I'm still here. Someone <laughs> <laughs> play the Irish national anthem. Make him stand. <laughs> you do. That's that's the national anthem, right? I say, surely the Irish national anthem is bewitched, Celebi. <laughs> I thought it was Danny Boy. It's actually jump around, but. <laughs> <laughs> but it was.
was my lovely horse. Yeah, I was going to say, we, I'm sure we can get my lovely horse on. <laughs> Shut up, I ate all of you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, right, okay. Uh, <laughs> Holmes, are you going to be buying a supply of those for your wall? I actually, somebody brought me a packet of the uh, port scratchings of those for my birthday, and I think in the space of a week I had three before they, I then tipped them in the food bin. They hurt. They, they are. You can't taste that. You can just taste pain. That's all there is to them. I think they're like the first. I think they were the first hit on Amazon when I typed in "disgusting snack." I, I, I mean, I, I was when when Dorman put a hand showed us his full hand. I was a bit of me was thinking, oh, oh Jesus, this isn't this isn't going to this isn't going to end well. Right. Okay. Who should we do next? Let's go to Chris White. <laughs> who has got uh, probably a mouthful of some very lovely snacks because I've seen the picture. Right. Who do you want? Who? who am, what am I doing first? Am I doing? So who did you get, Beth? I got Princess Beth. Okay. So who has she got to choose from for Shag and Mary? Okay, Shag and Mary. Okay. So I went with Nicholas the Second of Russia or King George the Fifth. Cousins. Cousins. <laughs> Same so, person. Um, as we talked about Beth um, on the Boxing Day one, when she was uh, given the title of princess, I've elevated her to a possibility of being queen. Um, she could pick Nicholas II of Russia, probably for a very short period of time, or she could go for King George V. Um, both of them have got amazing um, titles, as you know. Um, yeah, so... Amastoshes. and they look like. So, yeah, that was who I thought she might like to pick. Hmm. What do you think, Beth? That's very intriguing. <laughs> um, I mean, if we're thinking about it from a, like, very practical point of view, marrying Nicholas, Tsar Nicholas II, again, as you say, not very much longevity there. Um, but there was about three weeks ago, oh, what's the, was it Marina Amaral? She did some pictures of Tsar Nicholas II and, and he's butt naked in them and he's got, like, he's, we had very tremendous physique. So that was like, hmm, okay, interesting. Um, I'm just we'll going to say now to help you out, right? George the Fifth was in the Navy, so there's a bit of filth about him blatantly. Whereas oh, Nicholas Second, yeah. Nicholas the Second, if you read all those love letters to Queen Alexandra, I think he was potentially a bit wet and lame. Yeah. Uh, so I'd, I'd probably, I wouldn't want to. And like you say, if you marry him, you end up dead. So I'd bang Nicholas and marry George. Yeah, I think that's what I'd go with. Bang, bang Nicholas, marry George. Yeah. And also, I mean, if, if you bang Nicholas on the same day that Kit bangs Rasputin, you could both meet up as well. So, <laughs> <laughs> Russian dolls. <laughs> oh, <laughs> why did you have to go there? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I haven't seen those naked pictures of Nicholas a second. I'm going to go Google them right now. Beth, who would you kill? Right, okay. Um, I... When I went out of my lane, um, and I went for someone who is a particularly nasty fellow, um, and I have picked Vlad, Vlad the Third, or as he's better known, Vlad the Impaler. 
Hooray! Yeah, he <laughs> greatest just, villain winner. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he was a very, very despicable human. Um, had yeah. lots of traumatic experiences as a child when he was kept prisoner by the Ottomans. Um, sort of as like a down payment for their, for his and his brothers, their father's loyalty to them. But even from a small age, he was very peculiar. You'd probably call him a psychopath today. Um, and he he liked to kill people. There's no other way to put it. He liked to impale them, which could take people up to three days to die when they were impaled. Um, there was one recorded anecdote um, where Turkish messengers came to visit him to pay respects, but refused to take off their turbans according to their customs. So, you know, making sure that he they were true in their resolve to wear their turbans, he nailed them to his, their own heads. Um, he boiled people alive. Um, he he's, is described in various um, eyewitness accounts because it lists these eyewitness accounts. Lit, they list different places, different times, what happened. And they all call him things like he's a demented psychopath, a sadist, a gruesome murderer, a masochist. Um, and he was just a really nasty piece of work. And I think when you've got someone who is that inherently evil, the only thing you really can do. Oh, and on top of all of that, of course, he was the, the inspiration for Dracula as well. But on when you've got someone who is that evil, the only thing you can really do is give them the taste of their own medicine. So it I would really is. It's like you you put the steak up there behind, don't you? Yeah, it goes you it goes it's it really gross. Ground. It goes up there behind and then through their body and then out of their mouth. But you don't bat you don't do that. You put it up there behind and then prop them up on it and then over three days they gradually slip down. Slip down. Yeah. So it's really nasty way to go. So I'd probably I'd I'd do a little bit of everything. I'd start to boil him just enough that it hurt and was really, really painful. And then almost like a hung, drawn and quartered thing, start something, move on to the next one. Um, so, yeah, uh, a bit of boiling first, maybe nail something into his head as well, just for good measure, um, and then put him on a, and, and then impale him and let him slowly rot. Yeah, I don't, like, anyone can argue with that, can they? No, I was just going to say, I imagine Dorman's arse is going to feel like it's being impaled tomorrow morning. <laughs> <laughs> he is at least sitting up again now. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> Dorman not finish the bag, though. This is just yeah. weakness. Have you got any inkling to try any more? When I do, Kate, if you want, I'll have another handful. Excellent. <laughs> can we, can we also point out that this because Beth is actually is married and she was doing, we're doing Snog Marry Killed and she's finally allowed us to like open up on Twitter that her husband is John Moore, a famous Napoleonic general and I think Zach and I have been holding in that one for us far too long, <laughs> giggling at every single reference <laughs> <laughs> Oh, well, she doesn't get it because it's a Napoleonic joke <laughs> No, she pointed it out, so it's uh, it, it's all fair now that he's famous but ultimately pointless. <laughs> Let's go to Chris Sams, who is still fully clothed at this point. <laughs> Look at what yeah. you can achieve. Um, you aren't shit-faced. Yeah, when, when, I, when I'm not drinking rum. <laughs> yeah. So who have you got? Uh, I've got Holmes again. Yeah. Um, I... I because originally I, I misunderstood the memo as well. 
And um, so I only I, I, I had one um, who, which I'll come to in a minute. Uh, and um, I had to quickly go off and look up a second one because um, my idea, uh, having recently got divorced, my intention of even contemplating marrying anyone again for some time is pretty much the same as Dorman wanting to eat another mouthful of those um, crisps. So um, I, I had to go off and find someone quickly. And so I have these uh, two fine um, Teutonic beauties, uh, Kaiserin Elizabeth of Austro-Hungary, who um, was reportedly so beautiful that when the Emperor Franz Joseph went to meet her sister, whom he was supposed to marry, he took one look at Elizabeth, Elizabeth and thought, yeah, I'm going to marry her. Um, and the other one, mainly because I've got some severe problems, is uh, Princess Victoria Louise, the uh, Kaiser's daughter. Because if you've seen her in, in uniform, my word. <laughs> yeah. You googled? No, no, sorry, I, I was I was uh, checking the football score. Could <laughs> 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 you give me a bit of a summary of both of them again? Sorry, I wasn't there. Uh, yeah, sure. Uh, the the first one uh, was uh, Kaiserin Elizabeth uh, of Austro-Hungary, who married um, Franz Joseph. Um, she had a bit of a tragic life, but um, she was reportedly so so beautiful that when he went for his arranged arranged meeting with her older sister, whom he was supposed to marry, he looked. He took one look at Elizabeth. Elizabeth fell in love and thought, "Yeah, I'm going to marry her instead." Or um, Princess Victoria Louise, the Kaiser's only daughter, because. Um, yeah, if you've seen her in uniform, my word. See, yeah, <clears throat> I've got problems, as I've explained before. <laughs> um, I, I, I've not seen Victoria Louise, but uh, the um, Archduke Franz Ferdinand's wife was supposed to be supposed to be nice, and also she was she was from a much lower class than him, wasn't she? Because um, no, it was um, Franz Joseph's um, wife. Oh, okay. Mm. And he's holding a photo up. I, I would, um, I, I would still, I would still marry her. I think. I think the other one, because there's a Kaiser thing involved, would be a bit weird. So they wouldn't want. I wouldn't want any long term. <laughs> and Chris, kill. Um, again, I, again, I went for one that was credible. Um, however, I'm going to dress this up with a slight amount of irrational hatred for one of the uh, greatest traitors to uh, the British crown. Um in the form of George Washington, uh, because you can't be a patriot to a nation that doesn't exist. I'm upset a load of American listeners. Um, but right, on the, um, just, just before the 11th of September in 1777, uh, just before the Battle of Brandywine, uh, Major um, Ferguson of the British Army, um, who developed a, an early stage rifle, was out in the countryside when two uh, men went riding past him wearing blue uniforms. Um, clearly officers, he drew the rifle, took aim, and decided he couldn't shoot because it would be cowardly to shoot someone in the back. Um, later, he found out um, he was wounded in the elbow during the battle and was talking to one of the surgeons. They said, oh, yeah, that was the area where General Washington was. So whereas Major per- Ferguson would uh, put the rifle down and say, well, I'm not going to shoot him, the, uh, gin- the slightly overweight ginger alcoholic officer next to him went, I'll have a crack and fire off two rounds and shoot them both, um, which would ultimately make history better because Britain would hold America, well, there would be no Trump, um, because the next in line for the American command would be just after the Battle of Saratoga, which was a month later, which we'd clearly lose anyway, uh, would be Horatio Gates, who we whooped in the South Carolinas, and he ran away faster than the rest of his men, or um, the decorated war hero in the form of uh, Benedict Arnold. 
And um, as soon as the chips were down, we know he swapped sides. So clearly, take out Washington. Cornwallis, my hero, wins, um, along with Clinton and um, Howe. America's ours. Brilliant. Britain rules the world. <laughs> Given how many American guests on History Hack have begged to come back to the colonies uh, since the onset of Corona Land and uh, Trump's handling of it, uh, I think you might not get as much opposition as you imagine, uh, but possibly some death threats after that. Ah, cool. There's nothing else going on in my life, so yeah, it makes things interesting. <laughs> All oh, right. Okay. Clive's back in the room. Hi. You're all right. Is your Wi-Fi back? My wife is just about back, at least for now. Excellent. Okay. Uh, right. I'm starting to get lost with who's been and who needs to go. So, Charlie, who do you have? Sorry, I'm eating a peanut. Um, <laughs> oh, we've got fast snacks. You're going to get loads of sympathy from Andrew. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a hot peanut. Um okay it's gone no it really has okay i got lucky um for panto week and so uh i am giving lucky some options for uh, the old shag and marry now i know that lucky is more of the first world war-y type but i don't know i just i think of that as a bit of a sausage fest so i was thinking back to where there might be some more boobs going on. So I went to where I live, which is the 17th century, where there are boobs aplenty going on in the 17th century. So it's February 1685. The king is dead. Charles has died and he has left behind a couple of mistresses in need of a suitable gentleman to, um, shall we say, keep them. So you've got two choices here. He had two mistresses at the time who were you know, he spent most of his time with around the time of his death. One he kept in the palace and one he kept just outside the palace. So I'm giving you the options of the Duchess of Portsmouth, Louise de Caruel, who is uh, a French mistress. Or you could have Nell Gwynne, who is kept outside the palace. She is the former actress. Louise is um, very fancy. She takes the king very much for all he's worth. She was a French spy, but you know, he never told her anything he didn't want King Louis to know. But just for the purposes of Lockie here, and I will share on, um, on Twitter, this is what you're dealing with. She is a lovely, gorgeous, gorgeous Louise de Carowell. Though at the time of his death, she's been given a nickname, Fubs. And I never knew what fubs stood for. It turned out it stood for fat ribs. Apparently she was a little bit um, portly. But Nell Gwynne, we've got the actress who is obviously very popular in London. And she actually said this. This is, I think you can get a good sense of Nell and Louise from this. So Nell says this of Louise. That hoity-toity French duchess sets up to be of grand quality. Everyone of rank in France is her cousin. The moment some grand lord or lady over there dies, she orders a suit of deep mourning. We know she did this thanks to um, famous perv and cheese fan peeps. Well, if she's of such a high station, why is it she's such a whore? She ought to be ashamed of herself. If I were reared to be a lady, I should blush for myself. 
but it's my trade to be a whore and I was never anything else. The king keeps me. Ever since he's done so, I've been true to him. He has a son by me and I'm going to make him own the brat for he is fond of me as he is of his French miss. So you've got a choice there between a duchess and an actress, uh, Louise or Nell. Who do you fancy, Lockie? Shag or marry? Strong, I'd say. I mean, these are, this is a good choice. Um, I was expecting much, much worse. I'm, I'm glad you're choosing. Um, <laughs> I, I want uh, to give you a nice choice, Lockie. Well, it depends. I mean, do I do I think with um, sort of Lockie's head of the time, or or do I just sort of go with where I am now? I think, to be honest, I, I feel like Louise' uh, classical upbringing um, is gonna is gonna be educated. I think Nell is probably funnier, um, and on that basis, she's probably the one I want to be around more. So let's go with Mary Nell Shag Louise. Um, I hope that makes sense. I think that's a reasonable enough logic, isn't it? I like to laugh. No, that's that's good for all the funny, weird-looking girls everywhere. We like to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> Lockie, who incurs your wrath? Oh, this son of a bitch! This son of a bitch! <laughs> I fucking hate this guy. Um, He's a guy with a fuck lot to answer for, um, and I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I'm, I'm, my method of death is is actually maybe going to surprise people. Maybe not. I don't know the, the, the way I think. Um, I think he dies too soon. I want him to live a bit longer, actually. Um, uh, so it's Eric Ludendorff um, who I want to die a miserable, miserable death, um, and this scumbag was a very high-ranking uh, officer uh, in the German army in the First World War. Um, I guess while Paul von Hindenburg was nominally head of the army, really, Ludendorff was pulling the strings as first quartermaster general and virtually ran the German government. Now, there was a chance for peace in the middle of 1917. There was a peace resolution that passed the Reichstag in July of 1917 and was roundly and soundly Binned off by Ludendorff uh, and his cohort scumbags around him, which quite frankly included the Kaiser uh, as well. So we could have we could have stopped the war, but for him, um, if we'd had peace in July 1917, there might not have been a Bolshevik revolution uh, in October of that year. So we could have saved ourselves a lot more death and misery in the 20th century. Um, when it came down to the end of the war, he, he railed against Marxists. Uh, Freemasons and Jews who he saw as being responsible for Germany's defeat. Nothing to do with him and his shit decisions, uh, of course. Um, and then, after the war, who does he go on to support? Um, Hitler and chums. Uh, he becomes fully paid up and, and chummy with uh, the Nazis to the point where he was actually in the front rank leading the, uh, the Beer Hall Putsch. Uh, in November 23, um, Hitler's you know, first power grab. Um, so he can die a miserable, miserable death, uh, as far as I am concerned, scumbag that he is. Um, how to kill him? Well, like I said, I want him to live a bit longer, uh, actually. Uh, and I want him to see what happens to his um, beloved Reich that he helped create. Um, I want him to... Well, he died in 1937. Uh, by the way, I want him to live until a very specific date, uh, actually. I want him to live until the 17th of June, 1953. All right. Because uh, what he will see 
uh, is he will see his uh, Germany with the leadership that he supported utterly annihilated. Um, he will see the leadership that he supported you know, one by one off themselves uh, if they're not killed in, in combat or hanged. Uh, after Nuremberg. I'd like him to uh, go through Nuremberg not being killed. In fact, I'd like him to make a break for uh, the East uh, because he might want to return home. Um, uh, Where he was born uh, actually became part of Poland um, after the Second World War. Uh, So he would probably be turfed back to Germany and he might end up living in communist East Germany, which would just be perfect because as far as I'm concerned, he can get a job sweeping the streets there or something that you know he feels is totally beneath him um up until that date 17th of june 1953 but there's a popular uprising um against the east german government where i would like him to be squashed by a soviet tank that comes rumbling through the streets to put down the protests there you go that's it eric ludendorff squashed by a tank i really like that one (laughs) brilliant that's epically thought out um yeah holmes yeah, no, I, I agree wholeheartedly with that. He's uh, he's got an awful lot of blood on his hands, but gets so, you know something of a free pass compared to others of his type. No, it's true. Yeah. As far as he knew, when he when he died, it, everything was happy and the and the Reich was moving forward exactly as he wanted it. Bastard. There's also there's sort of a complete you know I mean I know politically circumstances were different, but the first of all was a horrific conflict, and to to not really learn any lessons from that is you know takes a takes a special kind of shithousery. Yeah, I, I really like the uh, level of thought that's got into his death as well. It's really ignominious. Like, oh, you're there, and then there's that Indiana Jones thing where you get run over by a tank, which is quite grim, uh, but doesn't get you any attention, like a public execution or anything like that. So I really like that one. Well done. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Uh, right, okay, we haven't heard at all from Kate yet today. Kate, you've got Chris. I have got Chris. I'm totally not ready for it because... Have you picked him some Teutonic beauties? Well, I had, but uh, one of them came up, so I, I've had to rush and try to um, try to come up with a new one. So I will do my best. Tell me you've come <laughs> up with some East German shot putters for him. <laughs> no, I haven't. I've come up with two beauties. However, they're not beauties without issue. So I've come up with Isabella of France or Cleopatra. Mm. So Isabella of France um, was the the daughter of uh, Philip of France, married Edward the Useless of England. Um, 
when Edward married Isabella, he was definitely punching above his weight. She was wealthier, higher ranking, better looking, a um, little bit younger than him, though he was relatively young and handsome. He was stupid and probably in love with Piers Gaveston. Um, he basically he ignored um, Isabella quite a lot and made lots of crap decisions until she got sick of it, got with Roger Mortimer, a noble, ran off to France, raised an army, came back and um, took England off him and gave it to her son and ruled it until her son was old enough to take over, if memory serves me well. Excellent. And the other one? Cleopatra, which we, we all know. We all know Cleopatra was uh, enormously wealthy and powerful and beautiful and so on. Um, but she also shagged her, I can't remember, brothers, sons. So there was some weird incest going on there. So, uh, yeah, I think you can choose incest, potential incest, or um, potentially being murdered if you're a bit crap. Hmm. <laughs> um. But both okay. very beautiful and wealthy and powerful and things, which is nice. Well, absolutely, yeah. Which is always a, always a good aphrodisiac. Um, Isabella of France feels like I'd be repeating the last few years of my life, so I'm <laughs> probably going to just shag her and marry Cleopatra. I mean, yeah, she's got issues and she slept with her brother, but, I mean, who in ancient Egypt hadn't? Um, <laughs> and it, I could always fake my own death and she could just wander off with a snake um yeah so i'll I'm, I'm marry cleopatra <laughs> and uh, uh shag, shag isabella because you shouldn't make the same mistake twice <laughs> <laughs> i love it uh <clears throat> well we will comment no further um <laughs> on your ex-wife's similarities to isabella of france uh right okay has anyone not been at all yet james yep i haven't been at all yet so of hey, course I had Chris White in the panto. Okay. So, and I've been rather nice for Chris, but I've also gave him a challenge for oh. Shag and Mary. <laughs> uh, thank you to Charlie for suggesting how he likes snow and he's like a kid at Christmas. So I've gone for people from some cold countries, but also knowing Chris's taste in music and his wonderful wife, I've also gone for some actresses and classical actresses of that. So for Chris to decide between, I've gone firstly for Greater Garbo or Greater Lovisa Gustafsson, the silent and early spoken movie star. Obviously, she mainly played somber roles with some of her greatest performances, but she was a strong-minded, independent woman. She was very private. She had an art collection, which you could say was the collecting music of the day. She was obviously from a snowy country. She did like to go back to Sweden and other places so he'd get to enjoy the snow. She was the fifth greatest female star legend of classic Hollywood cinema. And yeah, so Greater Garbo is one of your choices. And now for the other choice, I've gone for another Swedish person with Ingrid Bergman, who was the fourth greatest female screen legend of American cinema. So you've got fourth and fifth to choose from. Obviously, her most well-known role was in Casablanca. Uh, she started with many Swedish movies, however. Uh, she did struggle in life. She lost her parents young, and she went to acting school in Sweden, and it was a rough start to her career, but she started to really push her way in. Obviously, she ended up with three Academy Awards, two Emmy and four Golden Globes. 
Other famous roles include For Whom the Bell Tolls, which is a great movie, isn't it? Gaslight, Anastasia, a role on Murder on the Orient Express. She's well-spoken in five languages, and she acted in all five. Although she never liked Casablanca as much, she felt she'd done more important movies. So you've got two beauties to choose from, both very different in many ways, but also very closely matched. Oh, I've given you a nice choice, Chris. That's great. Thank you. Really good. So uh, being married to a film student, I was passed a few a few <laughs> notes under the table, as it were. <laughs> uh, <laughs> not that I can't make up my own mind about beautiful women. But anyway, so yeah, I mean, Greta Garbo famously said, I want to be alone and then retired. But Ingrid Bergman, great films. Um, but she was also denounced in Hollywood for having several ex- marital affairs. So would you trust her? That's the problem. <laughs> like I said, this is the challenge. That's the challenge. Would you trust someone like that? Or just She's obviously fun, right? <laughs> mm. Yeah, obviously fun. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And then you've got looks. I mean, they're both stunning, aren't they? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I think I'd probably go for Ingrid Bergman because I like I like a bit of a challenge. Um, yeah, definitely Ingrid Bergman. Yeah, and great films and Casablanca, excellent film. But you get them both, darling. You get to shag one and oh, marry. Oh, I? I get also always oh, a quick remember. No. <laughs> oh, Greater Garbo was bisexual. Well, bisexual. Oh, so I'm changing there. There's another what, what challenge. What movies is Greta Garbo in, James? I'm not actually familiar with any of her movies. Uh, she did a lot of silent movies. Um, probably her greatest role was as... Queen Christina of Sweden, she played. Uh, oh, no. Uh, great. Sorry, Greta Garbo. Probably one of her greater roles was as Marguerite Gautier in Camille. And then she also did a comedic role, which was a great change for her in... Um... I can't remember what it's called now. It's uh, Nitoshka, is it, Charlie? Okay, now you got me. All I know is that she played Christina of Sweden. but and I have a Oh, she did as well. Terrible. So that's awful. No, Chris, you get, so, to, well, you get to shag yeah, one okay, so, and marry one. Yeah, so yeah, definitely uh, marry Greta Garbo and shagging with Bourbon. Because okay. Charlie said I can't have a threesome. To be fair, Chris, it was a win-win for you. But who have you decided to off, given the choice? Well, I'm f- uh, so good, so good, so good. They named him twice. I picked, sorry, Beth. I also picked um, Vladimir Paler. Yeah, he must be bad. He must be bad if he's got picked twice, mustn't he? I mean, come on. You know, I'm an ex-goth and he wasn't, he's, he's kind of a hero, but then I read, I, I read some research this afternoon about him and he's a bad man. Yeah. Pretty bad. Um, yeah, he's pretty much an arsehole, isn't he? There's yeah. a statistic quality to it, isn't there? He killed 23,884 Turks in two weeks. That doesn't include the men, women and children who he burnt in their houses alive. Which which is something the Sisters of Mercy never did, to be fair. <laughs> no, no, they just, they just played really bad concerts after 1984. Terrible. Terrible, terrible. Yeah, so um, all, all, of his, all of his crimes, everything else was also propped up by Pope Pius II, who financed his wars against the Muslims and the Ottoman Empire, which also included his brother, who he killed. 
So, you know, he's a bad man. Um, and one of the worst things he did was he, he really hated beggars and homeless people. He also really hated women who had sex before marriage and didn't care for adulterous women either, cutting off their breasts and feeding them to the men they cheated with their fav- was his favourite punishment. So that's quite gruesome, isn't it? You know, cutting off the breasts of women and feeding to your lovers. Not cool. cool. Surely there's a few steps to revenge before that enters your brain if you're normal, right? He's also the national hero of Romania, even Mm. to this day. They love love him, don't they? They He's like, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. So, yeah, I definitely definitely want to kill him. And, you know, he'd have a double impaling, wouldn't he? Yeah. You know, two red hot pokers up his bottom. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds pretty fair, to be honest, after yeah. the pain that he caused. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah, he gets a, a double killing on this episode of History Hack down the pub. Yeah. Well deserved, too. Definitely. There's a shop dedicated to Vlad the Impaler in Southampton. Really? What? Why? What? <laughs> I don't know Wait, why. What? <laughs> I've never been inside it, but there is a massive picture of Vlad the Impaler. And I think it's called Vlad's Transylvania or something like that. It's um, called Shop. It's <laughs> still probably the best thing about Southampton. <laughs> Tell us about it. Down Shirley High Street if you're interested. Go, take photos. Yeah. Okay, so we have, oh, I right. believe, two people left to get their choice. And one is me giving Clive his choices for uh, Shag and Mary. And of course, I thought long and hard about this. And I thought I could be really nice and give him some lovely women to choose from, but that would be boring. Uh, and I could. So what I basically thought of was I tried to imagine two women that would utterly fucking ruin him uh, just for the hilarity of it. Um, and I'm going to give him the choice between them. And the first one uh, is Margaret Thatcher. I just because <laughs> I just I think she would she'd just annihilate you and it would be so funny. Uh, and I just I. The mental image has given me much joy, Clive, in the last day or so. Uh, and then I had to think again about, I, so I was looking for really quite a terrifying woman that could literally um, ruin you. And I thought of Queen Jinga. Do you remember we had her? She was way back on uh, ish, episode two of History Hack. She was one of the warrior queens that John and Emily talked about. And she was basically this boss-like African queen who owned owned it really uh no one got away with anything she was always in charge and again i just i she would ride you like a mule all the way home uh and destroy you and no not gillian anderson thatcher actual thatcher okay, well, I'm, mar- I'm marrying queen jinga absolutely take me down the aisle now please, <laughs> yeah. please. um but you know i remember when i back when i was at university when thatcher first became prime minister there was a bit of graffiti that went up around which said, fuck Tories, Dennis Thatcher can't be wrong. So I suppose, yup, she was the one when I'd have to pick to shag. Um, I thought we were, however, leaving out Stalin, Hitler, Genghis Khan and Pol Pot and Margaret Thatcher, but obviously... I think <laughs> you could put her in. Just the voice alone, the voice alone. <laughs> Yeah, there's not even the comedy value of it being Gillian Anderson, I'm afraid. But Clive, who would you off and why? Well, I've looked, thought about this long and hard, and there are a lot of people that one would want to off. But 
The name that kept cropping up was Robert Clive, because he was a dick, a dick of the highest order. He was probably more responsible than any other one single person for the whole of British colonialism. He was a nasty, nasty bastard. He was responsible, at least indirectly, for millions of deaths of in Indians. He stole, in today's values, billions of pounds worth of loot from India. He disrupted the whole of the Indian social welfare system, where when times of famine and things, the Maharajas and others would step in and look after the poor. He took all their money and left everyone destitute and dying. And he led the way to 150, 200 years of British imperialism in India, which set a tone for British imperialism throughout Africa and in various other places. He was an absolute, absolute dick. The one positive thing about him was he topped himself. But what one would want to do is to actually kind of get to him before he could do any of these things. And I've looked at various ways of doing this, and I should start by saying I'm an absolute coward and I'm a lawyer and if I got done for killing him obviously I might get struck off and that wouldn't be very good for my career so I look for ways in which I could do I could make sure he died early but died without any blame attaching to me and I've <laughs> I I've, love, also I worked, I've worked on the basis also that I needed to have backup plans in case the first one failed because this guy's going down. He's going down before he starts arsing around in India. So the first idea is when he was a kid, he ran a gang of hooligans who did protection rackets and things like that. And what I would do is, because money's the cure for everything, I would pay a rival gang leader to go and absolutely take him out in some gang fight. That would be a good start. Now, if that failed, when he was sailing out to India for the first time as a young clerk going out with the East India Company, I would pay one of the sailors on the ship. Late at night, get him out on deck, slide him over the side. Quiet as anything, never be heard of again. Or if that failed, by the time he got out to India, I mean, these nabobs and bobs and people came back to England absolutely minted. But... Those are the ones who survived. A heck of a lot of them died from disease and stuff like that when they got out to India. So I would just bribe a cook or something to make sure he got extraordinarily and miserably ill as soon as he arrived in India and popped his clogs within months before he could do any death, destruction or anything else. And it would have suited him because ultimately he killed himself anyway. Probably would like to have done it earlier. It would have suited mankind as well. And the worst thing that bastard did was popularize the name of Clive, which has left me with this frightful Christian name for the rest of my life. And so I owe him a great debt of dishonor and it would be joyful to have gone back in time and topped him, if not once, if not twice, at least three times. I love it. I don't think you can dispute it, can you, Holmes? No, I think that, I think that's spot on. Yeah, another one that you can't really argue for them in any way, shape, or form. Right. Okay. I don't think we've had Lockie, have we? 
giving Dorman his choices? No, we have not. And I, Dorman is I, still there. There's a, a fringe visible uh, <laughs> as he continues to die in the corner. Well, I, yeah, I had um, had a couple of good ones lined up. I have have gone Irish um, in the hope that you know Dorman can tell us more about you know in, in the spirit of uh, him having something to work with. Um, trouble is, one of them has already been taken by him um, to <laughs> uh, to Marcus uh, Countess Markovic is is um, has been used. So I'm going to have to fall on one of my reserve uh, choices. I did have. Um, uh, Grace O'Malley, um, famous Irish female pirate, and the Countess Markovich. But um, with with Markovich gone, I'm, I'm going to have to go with President Mary Robinson as another powerful woman. <laughs> um, so Grace O'Malley, famous pirate, and um, Ireland's first female president. And those are your choices. Okay. Um, so Grace O'Malley. Uh, incredibly successful pirate, in fairness. I, I probably should have done her instead of Anne Bonny a couple of weeks ago. Um, she had her own castle, uh, which she stole, um, and basically dominated the waters outside of Cork more effectively than any Brexit neg- negotiation properly could. Um, yeah, she, she's incredible. Mary Robinson, great politician, but kind of the personality of a doorknob. Um, I thought it'd be tough to be married to and as far as I'm aware she became provost of Trinity College Dublin and I don't particularly want anything to do with that place so I think I'll have the one night stand with Mary Robinson and then spend a life on the high seas with Grace O'Malley in her pirate kingdom Excellent and you can sail to the Carolinas where you can find more Reaper chilies. Oh. <laughs> Brilliant. A doorman, who are you going to kill? Uh, I mean, I'd like to say I thought long and hard about this. but Before I didn't. you went for Oliver Cromwell. I didn't go for Oliver Cromwell. Oh. I know, I know, I know. Because I wanted something that... I wanted a multicultural experience Okay. as part of my death. So I am going to assassinate Winston Churchill. Um, now as we my feelings about Churchill have been mentioned before I think he's a fat bastard um, (laughs) colonial pig and genuinely he hated Irish people Indians as well so for my murder I want Winston Churchill to die of an overly spiced Massaman curry Um, (laughs) ironic in my current state I know but I want heartburn to so utterly annihilate his stupid voice that he can't call for any ration coupons for milk to quench his thirst or Gaviscon fireman to spray his throat with white liquid. Um, and then as the final killing blow, I wanted to choke on the potato that goes into the Massaman curry from Connemara and have Sergeant Harper from Sharp look him in the eye and say, God save Ireland. So that's my slightly bitter, vicious assassination of Winston Churchill. And he can die in a hole. Full of <laughs> specifically That's Massa Manker. It's my uh, granddad you're talking about, but thanks. Sorry. Well, in fairness, this is your fault, so. Yeah. <laughs> oh, excellent. And now, Dorman, sticking with you, you got another handful ready because you can do cakes for her. <laughs> yeah. I'll do the peanuts. Oh, yeah. this is boring. These are actually tasty. <laughs> oh. <laughs> 
Oh, no, they're not. Fuck. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, why do I do this? Alright, hey. Oh, they're so much worse. (laughs) We did say, me and Charlie did say, do the master. Shut up, James. No one wants to hear your reason. I'm good. I'm good. Okay, Kate. I said don't do them at all, but, you know... Okay, Kate. Um, I've given you two Spanish choices. Um, well, Spanish, Italian, one of them. Christopher Columbus and the other one, Philip II of Spain. Oh, that would be shit. <laughs> so, Chris Columbus, obviously famous for, in 1492, getting lost. Um, <laughs> genocidal maniac. Uh, similar issues to Leopold involving hand lothage off. Um, but the thing to really remember about Columbus is whether it's in the bedroom or in the marital bed, he's going to talk about his voyage all the time. It's going to be a constant. Remember when I did that? Remember how I did that? All that. It's going to be a constant sort of reference to his crusade, I suppose. And also, I've never seen a painting of him where he actually looks attractive. So that's something else to bear in mind. Thanks. Thanks so much. Now, Philip II. Um inherited his mass holdings from his overly ambitious father, took to ruling immediately, and he's the, um, how best to describe him, in your sort of romantic comedy, he's the guy who forgets that he is married and focuses so much on work, and, you know, honey, come to bed, I can't, I'm busy. He just spent all of his time at his desk. Uh, he did not time for anything else. He would always be second to Spain itself. Um, big funder of the Spanish Inquisition as well, so very devout. Make, if that's a good thing or a bad thing, up to you. Uh, bit of a loser, Spanish Armada. Um, is good looking, but he's also bloody Mary sloppy seconds. And he's also anti-Semitic. So, you know, it's up to you. Thanks. <laughs> very much. You deserve the snacks, every single one of them. <laughs> I am, uh, I is tempting to marry Christopher Columbus if just for the travel opportunities. Um, however, I think the whole royal and wealthy thing and actually being left alone, that's quite appealing in marriage, I think. So I'm going to marry, I'm going to marry Philip and, and Chad Columbus. Yeah, I, that's a good call. Yeah. But that Philip was really fucking dull, wasn't he? Wasn't he like really dull and really pious and really? Yeah, but if he's dull and pious and leaves me alone and goes and fucks off somewhere else and be dull and pious, that's great. It's true, because you could just go, "I'm a heathen. You better not touch me." Yeah, You're like oh, I'm, I'm a, I'm a filthy, dirty commoner or, or something. Yeah. You know, I no, don't just know. Give like, me your credit card and you can go back away. Exactly, you. exactly. As long as I, you know, by marrying him, I'm happy. I'd have the wealth and the status and it's better that he's dull and leaves me alone than he bothers me all the time. Amen to that. Uh, and what about killing, Kate? Who are you going to off? Okay, so um, I thought really long and hard about this. <laughs> I didn't. Every time someone says long and hard, Charlie dies a little bit. Saying long and hard. <laughs> I didn't and it was nowhere in my notes. I just had to say it. Sorry. Ali. It's all right. <laughs> it's just difficult. 
So, um, Francisco Paulino Hermenegildo Teodulo Franco Bahamonde. It's no wonder he was a bit odd. The Spanish dictator, better known as Franco. He liked to be referred to as His Excellency the Head of State, General Franco, or El Caudillo de la Última Cruzada de la Hispanidad, roughly the leader of the last crusade and of Hispanic heritage. El Caudillo doesn't really have a translation as such but it's used interchangeably with the expression warlord. Um, so he was a military man. Um, he was only 14 when he went to the Infantry Academy at Toledo, and he graduated three years later. He became, in 1915, became the youngest captain in the Spanish army. Uh, he was chosen to be second in command of the newly organised Spanish Foreign Legion in 1920 and succeeded to full command in 23. During crucial campaigns against the Moroccan rebels, the Legion played a decisive role in bringing the revolt to an end. Franco became a national hero, and in 1926, aged 33, he was promoted to Brigadier General. At the beginning of 1928, he was named director of the newly organised General Military Academy in Zaragoza. In May 1935, he was appointed chief of the Spanish Army's general staff, and he began tightening discipline and strengthening military institutions. In 1936... At dawn, on July the 18th, Franco's manifesto, acclaiming the military rebellion, was broadcast. Within 24 hours, he'd executed 200 of his senior officers, commanded the colonial army in Africa, and was firmly in control of the Spanish-Moroccan protectorate. With Mussolini and Hitler's assistance, he broke the naval blockade to cross the strait, and not long afterwards, 15,000 men were marching to Madrid. Franco was proclaimed Generalissimo del Ejercito Nacional, a military rank superior to even field marshal, and Jefe del Estado, the head of the state of the new nationalist regime, on October the 1st, 1936. With the continuation of heavy German and Italian assistance, Franco won a complete and unconditional victory in 1939. On paper, he had more power than any Spanish leader before or since. For the first four years after taking Madrid, he ruled almost exclusively by decree. He possessed far more day-to-day -day power than Hitler or Stalin at the respective heights of their power. He and Hitler met in 1940, and they spent seven hours discussing Spain's conditions for joining the war. They left without an agreement, probably, at least in part, because of Franco's demands for territories, one of which was Gibraltar, to be handed over after the war. Hitler remarked that he would as soon have three or four teeth pulled out as go through another session like that again. So Franco was a nice guy. He seems, seems really interesting. Even Hitler couldn't stand him. <laughs> During World War II, Franco put Spain's clocks back an hour in solidarity with his Nazi allies and never changed them back. This means that Spain is technically in the wrong time zone. We should be on GMT like London and Lisbon, but instead we're on Central European time. And this shift means that Spain has dark mornings and light evenings. It's also contributed to the country's famously late mealtimes. After the war, Franco allowed many former Nazis, such as Otto Skorzeny and Leon de Grel, and other former fascists to flee to Spain. After the war, the Spanish government tried to destroy all evidence of its cooperation with the Axis alliance. In 2010, documents were discovered showing that Franco had ordered his provisional governors to compile a list of Jews, and he supplied that list of over 6,000 Jews to Himmler. 
People under Franco's rule were oppressed. The economy had been ravaged. People were so poor in the country, they were reduced to making grass into soup or boiling garlic cloves in water and calling that soup. It's still popular now and loads of restaurants sell it. It's the worst thing ever. In the cities, they ate scraps from the bins of the wealthy or cats. And the beautiful Pura Raza Española horse only survived thanks to its hardiness and a few devoted breeders. He banned regional names for newborn babies, hence why all Spanish women over 40 are called Maria, and most under 40 are too. Like Hitler, Franco only had one testicle, Paquito's little Paquito. Women could not open a bank account without having it co-signed by their father or husband until well into the 70s. Um, even now, UK military aircraft cannot fly over Spain. And getting our Royal Navy ships into Gibraltar is a feat of marine manoeuvring that Blackbeard would be proud of. It involves going past Gibraltar almost as far as Marbella to turn around without entering Spanish waters. Queen Elizabeth's visit to Gibraltar in 54 was seen as an insult by Franco, who thereafter implemented a series of restrictions. Spain took its sovereignty claim to the UN, arguing that Gibraltar was rightfully Spanish. And when that claim was rejected by the UN, Franco closed the border and it didn't fully reopen until 1985, 10 years after his death. Anyway, now to the serious business of bumping off this diabolical dictator. So I figured with my hospitality experience and ability to bullshit, I'm fairly confident I could get a position at El Palacio Real where he lived. I'd work my way up through the ranks, maybe get a few of the other staff on side. Then really it would depend on the opportunities that present themselves. So if I didn't like the chef, maybe I'd poison his paella. A good dose of dependable arsenic should do the trick. If I didn't like the maids, maybe I'd poison the sheets. I think thallium or something, I should see him off, right? My preference, though, would be to try to seduce him. And if he did like me, I'd lead him on. Get him to take me somewhere very private. Let him think he was going to get some. Get a bit naughty. Maybe tie him up. And then torture him. There was a rumour that he got his dick chopped off. Move over, Napoleon. So while I was killing him... I definitely make sure that happened. Uh, I, no, you know no. what? I fucking love that. And I just, do you know what? Don't ever piss Kate off. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just cannot believe the, the scuff you're talking about belongs in the fucking 19th century maximum, not in the 70s. Yeah, yeah it's scary, isn't it? Yeah. They, they, they were reduced to literally like, yeah, just eating scraps and they, they used to go and pick grass and, and boil it and, and when I say grass, it's not, Spain's not a particularly uh, grassy country. You know, it's, it's dry most of the year. So yeah, it was really hard. It, there was a man who, um, and I forget the exact date. There was a man who, who, who hid from Franco. I'm not sure why. I'm not sure if he was Jewish. I don't remember the details, but he hid from him and he only came out like in the nineties, I think it was. He lived in this cupboard and he wouldn't believe that it was over. So he, he hid and he stayed hidden. I cannot believe it. I, do you know what? I, a little, I, I knew like the name Franco wasn't associated with a nice man. I didn't know he was quite such a prick. Oh, uh, um, he was, he was awful. Right. Okay. Good shout. Don't think anyone, Holmes, we're not disputing off in him, are we? No, no. I, I, it was astonishes me that, you know, he was in power for my childhood. It seems, it seems from a, a much earlier time, as you just said, but yeah, crazy business. Yeah, yeah. my mum remembers him, yeah, definitely. 
That made me feel a bit younger. Thanks, Kate. <laughs> <laughs> any time, any time. No, I mean, remembers him like like 40 years, remembers him, 30 years. Whoops. Still not helping. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Clive's waving. <laughs> yes, Clive? Yeah. I think I remember him as well. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, my mum remembers him as an adult. She was a very much a very grown adult. When he was, Clive yeah. was a mere child. Yeah, exactly. He was a I very precocious baby. <laughs> right, who has yet to put stuff forward? Holmes, you've got to give me a choice, haven't you? I have. And I have to confess that I, I hadn't prepared anything. I misunderstood uh, our exchange about the brief earlier on in the week. Um, so if I stay within our uh, respective comfort zones, you did, it, you did say, just bung me... Kitchener and Haig. And so, first of all, I thought that might be too easy. So I thought about, instead of giving you just Haig, I thought I might give you the commanders of the British Army during the First World War. So it would be Haig and Sir John French in some sort of tag team type setup. But, <laughs> but I then, French had affairs anyway and was a bit rubbish with his money and was a bit matey with Haig. So I thought that'd be a bit weird. So I, I dropped that. So if we go with Kitchener first, he was the highest ranking casualty of the First World War. He was the Minister for War um, until his untimely death when the, uh, the ship he was sank, uh, that he was sailing on sank. Um, as an older man, though, he's an older man, but at the same time, if he fancied a night off, we know how effective it was at drumming up volunteers. So that side of things would be catered for. Mm-hmm. Haig, on the other hand, is, comes across as dependable, consistent, some would say boring, but if you look at how he couldn't wait to get his hands on tanks he showed his willing to experiment to try new things quite early on, something to bear in mind. And also, he probably liked it up against the side of buildings if his uh, backs to the wall order of the 11th of April 1918 is anything to go by. So something else to consider. Yeah, I, I definitely would uh, shag Haig. And do you know what Peter Hart has pointed out? Peter Hart has a massive man crush on Sir Douglas Haig. And there's a certain photo that involves a whip uh, that is another uh, plus point for that. And Lockie's nodding because Lockie would go for Haig as well. This is the choice you wish you'd got, isn't it, Lockie? Um, yeah, I'd definitely shag Haig. I'd marry Kitchener, especially if it was like younger Kitchener. But even if it was older Kitchener, I reckon I could get him to fucking behave, you know. I reckon if he'd had a wife to sort him out, he might not have been such a pain in the ass. I think he pretty much said as much. Yeah, I could fix him. I could he's, fix him. he's got you with the eyes, hasn't he? Yeah, he's also massively rich and never there, which is a plus point. But yeah, I reckon I reckon Haig could be a bit of dirt for a one-off. I'd go there. So would Lockie. Peter Hart definitely would. He actually made me airdrop the picture. Of, you know the picture of Haig with the dog when he's younger, the, the portrait? He actually made me airdrop it to him so he could have it on his phone, uh, which is slightly concerning. Lockie, is that the way round you do it? He's just sort of thinking about it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, no, just because I think you, you you might not get much mileage out of a shag with Kay. I don't, no, I don't, 
I don't, and do you know what? With Haig as well, I wouldn't want to be married to him because I've read all of his letters to his wife. I've been to Edinburgh and he's very proper about like not spending money on silly things. And like, I think he'd throw a shit fit at my book slighting for a start. <laughs> and I, I think he might be a little bit too uh, prim and proper. And I think he might be pissed off if I swore and stuff. Whereas Kitchener, I don't think would be. And like I say, like I could just pack him off to work in Egypt and have Broom Park and, uh, just put out when he comes home, which frankly he wasn't hideous to look at. I you, you know, Hayes got a riding crop for the for the for the kinky moments as well. <laughs> wasn't Kitchener into buggery? I think probably all of those First World War army officers were definitely Sir John French. I reckon. I don't reckon. I think he yeah, was a sexual deviant. I look at his face and I just think, yeah, you, there's nothing you wouldn't do. He's got a, like a Commonwealth War Graves headstone, has he? French. Money. So there's there's. Probably no room for he would do absolutely anything on that anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Wouldn't go there with French purely for the fact that one, he's nothing to look at. Two, there's no money there. And three, he's always dicking around with someone else's wife. So you'd be constantly like people would be talking about you or you'd be the object of scandal. And I just can't see anything to gain. And also as well, if you read his letters from 1914 onwards, God, he's a fucking whiner. There's nothing less attractive than a whiny bloke who who bitches like a girl. I'm sorry. (laughs) I don't think that uh, you can accuse either Kitchener or uh, Haig of that. But (laughs) I've never understood where, you know, why he ended up being a bit of a player. You know, some people it's quite obvious, but with him... He's got no money... Yeah, little. Personalities, I just, he must have been hung like a horse. <laughs> uh, if I could kill, right, I, so I, obviously, I banned Alina from doing anything concentration camp down the pub because no one goes down the pub to talk about them. But like I said, you would, of course, we'd all like to subject Mengele to every experiment he ever did on anyone else uh, and watch him suffer. But that's, we, we can't laugh about that when we're drunk. So I'm going to go for Matthew Hopkins because. He's just a tedious piece of shit. This is the guy. He's come up before uh, the witch hunter general. Is that what he calls himself? Witch finder general. That guy. Mm. Yeah, witch finder general. That twat. Uh, and I was thinking, like, first of all, I'd put him in the stocks and let women just pelt him with anything they liked. And then I thought some good old, like, medieval torture as well. Again, like, anything he'd enacted to get a confession out of a woman, I'd have done to him. And then I thought, like, to off him, I thought of some really sadistic stuff. And then I got thinking about, and Marcus isn't here now, but Zach knows about this. When we were interviewing uh, Cocky from Sharp about uh, his worst moment, there's a scene where he had to be tied, like, spread-eagled arms and legs to the ground on a hot day, um, but naked. And it was part of like a military punishment in the program. And it was the most humiliating day of uh, Cocky's life because Sharp started, or Sean Bean started making jokes about the size of his cock and things like that. I quite like the idea of Matthew <laughs> tied to the floor while everybody walks past and laughs and takes piss on him and stuff. That would be quite funny. Uh, but then ultimately I would dunk him. You know, that really ironic way of getting rid of witches where they dunk you. And if you died, they're like, oh, she wasn't a witch. I'd like to do that to him. But like Beth said, there's a certain certain appeal in doing lots of other stuff. Yeah, so I kind of like Matthew Hopkins to have some of that humiliation first, but then ultimately I'd dunk him and prove that he wasn't a witch. But oh well, he's dead anyway. And then I'd, do, I'd feed him to pigs after he was gone. I even thought about that, body disposal. I'd feed him to pigs just because it was the most uh, humiliating thing I can think of. So that's that. And we've got uh, lots of them in the fens, so it's fine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And um, for the irony, 
we're not powdering him up and using him as an ingredient in spells and stuff, just even if they don't do anything, just for the comedy value. Alex, you and you and I, we could definitely powder him up and use him in a spell. Yeah. Or a not that we wish. Sex magic. Sex magic, yeah. We're back to sex magic again. We've gone full circle. I'm thinking about Haig again with that riding whip. Right, okay. <laughs> Who's still got stuff to say? Charlie, have you been yet? I need to do my kill, but Kit needs to give me my choices. Okay, so Kit, are you ready? I am ready. Um, so I thought about being really mean, and I was thinking about, do I give you, like, Joe DiMaggio and <laughs> and Oliver Cromwell? What? Like that. But I thought, I thought I would be nice. Oh, thank you. And, and kind of mean at the same time. So, on the one hand, you have got Clark Gable. Oh, who we all know is your is your uh, your celebrity freebie free pass. <laughs> you could, unlike any of his other wives, have a very happy life with Clark Gable if you wish. Okay. On the other hand, you have Marilyn Monroe. Now, are you going to use Marilyn Monroe like everyone else in her life, or are you going to marry her for the rest of her days and actually give her happiness she deserves? The choice is yours. Oh my goodness, now I've thought long and hard about this. <laughs> <laughs> just, just to keep with the theme. Well, I mean, Clark Gable was famous for boffing his leading ladies, so I don't think that you can expect a certain amount of faithfulness from Clark Gable. Whereas Marilyn, all she really wanted, and it, it breaks my heart, all she really wanted was to love and be loved. That was it. I mean, pop psychology, she craved appreciation and validation and a family. Uh, so do you know what? Let's let's be done with this heteronormative way that we've been going. So I will I'll shag Clark Gable because clearly there's something there and he is hot. And I, I know that it's dodgy, but my God. I would love him to carry me up those stairs and say, this is one night you're not locking me out. I love it. Gorgeous. And I would marry Marilyn Monroe because I think one thing she could have used was a really good friend. And I, you know, I could, I'd go there. She's gorgeous. We, we could dye each other's roots and have a lovely time and live until we were very old ladies with very white hair. And it would be wonderful. And everyone would call us, you know, friends. They were friends who lived together for 40 years until they died. So, yes, I would I would shag Clark Gable and marry Marilyn Monroe. That would be wonderful. Oh, I knew you were. You're just too nice to have gone the other way. <laughs> Chris White finally gets his threesome. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh, it's only fitting, isn't it, Chris? With, with, with Marilyn or Clark? I'm not, I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think two hot blondes is the way he's going but but i don't know maybe the mustache chris does that make up for the fact that you didn't get offered Susanna york uh yeah definitely <laughs> he's got all his voice has got up two octaves <laughs> he's going to think long and hard on yeah, that possibly gonna go and have a cold shower uh charlie who have you decided to kill who have I decided to kill? Okay, well, the obvious one for me was to go for Cromwell. So I thought I wouldn't be obvious. And I've actually gone for John Pym. So John Pym was the unofficial leader of the opposition party. 
at the beginning of the Civil War. So before the Civil War happens, before Cromwell is even the thing, he's just an MP from Ely, you know. No one's really paying much attention to him. Pym was the guy. He'd been involved in a tug of war over money with Charles I and demanded that the king expel all of his bishops from the House of Lords uh, if he ever wanted another penny voted to him for his use. Pym was instrumental in the impeachment and the removal of the king's so-called evil counsellors. The idea was is that the king can't possibly be the problem. He must have evil counsellors. So Pym removed Archbishop Lord and the Earl of Strafford, who had his head cut off. And he drafted the Grand Remonstrance, which was a document detailing Parliament's grievances against the king. They presented that to him in December 1641, and it went down really well, as well as you can imagine it went down. Uh, As well as their general dislike of bishops and anything remotely Catholic-y, Pym really didn't like the way that the king could just dissolve Parliament any time he fancied as the mood took him. This arbitrary rule was what really got Parliament's backs up. So Pym was one of the list of five names that the king wanted removed from Parliament. This is the five members, John Pym, John Hampton, Arthur Hazelrig, Denzel Hollis and William Strode. Notice Oliver Cromwell, nowhere near the names at this point. He is not a big deal. It's Charles's failed arrest of the five members that is still commemorated to this day, every year at the state opening of Parliament, when the doors of the House of Commons are ceremonially slammed in Blackrod's face. So you've seen this happen every year. The Queen turns up, her representative Blackrod knocks on the door, and the door gets slammed on his face. That goes right back to this time, right back to 1641, so before the Civil War. Pym was undoubtedly an instigator of the civil wars, but he died of cancer in December 1643. You don't think of people dying of cancer in the 1640s. You'd have thought we'd have sorted this shit out by now, but no, people still died of cancer in 1643. So this was right at the beginning of what turned out to be a very drawn out conflict lasting until the regicide in January 1649. Pym was buried in Westminster Abbey, And he was one of the bodies exhumed on the restoration and chucked into a pit. I love this. Charles II had a wonderful, um, wonderful sense of uh, justice. Dig him up, chuck him in a pit. But had he lived, Pym, I think, would have been the natural political choice to head up the new Commonwealth. So for stirring all this shit up, for starting it going and for dying before any of it happened, I would like to kill John Pym. And this is how I would do it. Okay, you're going to you're going to think that this is that I'm being boastful here, but this is true. This is how I would kill John Pym. One bullet outside the House of Commons. And I know what you're thinking. You think, Charlie, you just what are you talking about? I have literally in my life fired one bullet from one gun and I have killed that clay pigeon. So I have no reason to think that I'm not an expert marksman. So I think if you put me outside the House of Commons with a gun, with one bullet, I could kill John Pym like that. So that's how I do it. One bullet, one gun, one man gone and no civil war. There you go. You're welcome. 
honestly have to say I completely agree with you. And no stinky parliamentarians and Oliver Cromwell never gets famous and never goes to Ireland. So exactly. I'm down with it as well. Leave Ireland <laughs> alone. I'm pretty sure Dorman's Oh no, he is there a thumb. Dorman's dead. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Is he okay, really? The chair moved. He, he put like a little thumb up like Arnold Schwarzenegger did. <laughs> I'm okay. It's just hit my stomach. <laughs> oh, no. Love that, Charlie. That's epic. Uh, and I like the idea of you doing the whole sniper thing outside the House of Commons as well. And I, I'm, I'm not surprised it was a clay pigeon because part of me thought, no, Charlie's never killed him. <laughs> one time. One shot, one gun. One bullet, and I hit it. It was my last play as well. I handed her the gun and sort of rocked the, the weapon and said, there you go, have a go. And she put it up to her hip without even aiming it properly and just fired it from her hip and hit the clay straight away. So you made the decision never to piss her off. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there are no firearms in the house. Happily um, married. <laughs> Even more happily now, Marilyn's coming to stay. Right, okay. Uh, Zach, you've still got some options to put forward, haven't you? Here, I've got Alina again this week, um, which made this shag marry section pretty easy. And like last week's Panto character, Alina spent the last week crapping herself about what I'm going to go for. Now, there was an obvious play here because I didn't read the instructions properly, which was to force her to choose between her two least favourite people in history, Hitler and Stalin. But that would just have been predictable and wouldn't create much of a challenge because she'd just use both as an opportunity to kill each of them and it would simply be a case of who she was willing to spend more time with. Instead, I wanted to create more of a moral dilemma here. In other words, I could be more of a git by not doing the obvious. So Alina's choices for Shag and Mary are the communist-hating US Senator Joe McCarthy and the 18th century King of Poland, Augustus III. Now, on the surface of things, It might sound like I've lost the plot. McCarthy, the architect of McCarthyism, hated communism. Alina would have loved that. And if you don't know about Alina's obsession with all things Poland, then you clearly haven't been listening to History Hack and need to sort your life out. But it's not quite that simple. Senator Joe McCarthy did indeed hate communism, but he's also widely acknowledged to have been a grade A arsehole, which is a technical historical term. And knowing Alina, she's just died for Wikipedia and found he looks like Count Dracula, but with too much grease in his hair. Why was McCarthy an arsehole, though? Well, he rose to fame for claiming in February 1950 to have evidence that communists and Russian spies were employed by the US State Department. Over the next few years, he basically did the political equivalent of fat-shaming people by exposing them for having had any connection, no matter how small, with a left-wing organisation. He also at times made accusations of homosexuality, then a crime in the US, and disloyalty in order to attack political opponents. The only trouble with McCarthy was that he didn't have any real evidence. He was basically making it all up or basing it on the most tenuous links possible. McCarthy ruined people's lives and was only exposed when he started both attacking the army, which was an unpopular move, and having his hearings televised, at which point everyone realised he was basically a fraud who had nothing but unsubstantiated accusations. So that's McCarthy. What about Malcolm III of Poland? Well, this is quite evil, really, because although he was Alina's beloved country's national leader between 1733 and 1763, he's also considered to have been one of Poland's worst kings 
and contributed to its dismemberment. Elected leader of the country by a slim majority in 1733 and crowned in Krakow in January 1734, Malcolm III was really known for his love of the finer things in life, being more interested in the arts than affairs of state. He spent less than three years of his 30-year reign in his kingdom, leading to a power vacuum, which aristocratic families in Poland exploited as they vied for power. Poland took no part in any major conflicts during the period that he reigned, further diminishing its status. Although faithful to his wife, unlike his father, Augustus has been described as impotent, obese, ugly and lazy. More importantly for Poland, other nations were able to take advantage of the internal disorder. Having been dependent on Austrian and Russian support to win the War of Polish Succession at the start of his reign, he was prevented from installing a hereditary succession in Poland by the Russians, who installed Catherine the Great's lover, Stanislaw Poniatowski, on the throne when Augustus died. So there you have it, Alina. A king of Poland who basically ruined the country and directly aided its dismemberment and fall from grace, or a communism-hating US senator who ruined people's lives by making shit up. Who do you shag and who do you marry? You're an asshole. <laughs> I know. Can I just point out the whole time you were doing that pitch, Dorman, who is cannot be seen on his chair, his chair was just spinning. Still going. <laughs> like he's just, apparently they've reached his stomach. Just wait till they go further. <laughs> Alina, make sure. <laughs> when they try to leave. <laughs> why, did, why did you have to pick some, uh, couldn't you just pick someone that was good looking and I could have just shagged him? No, because that would have been too easy for you. I'm kind of, I don't want to shag or marry any of, the, of these guys. You know, for fat shaming, first of all, I'm not the skinniest person in the world. So that's like, and the, I don't know. They're both, <laughs> Alex, help me. No way, man. Suck it up. I can say that from a place where I got given two people I don't find repulsive. But I, I'm pretty sure there's a guy out in this room somewhere who's getting rogered by Rasputin. So you're not getting any sympathy. <laughs> <laughs> McCarthy would be into role play. It's <laughs> like a weak voice from the floor. Help. <laughs> Clive's got to get humped by Maggie Thatcher. No, no one feels sorry for you, Alina. <laughs> I mean, I have to choose between two walking STIs, so you know. <laughs> <laughs> okay, fine. So I think I would shag McCarthy because um, James is right. I'm going to go for the guy with the most money. Um, so Augustus the third. Yeah, let's go for him because he's got more money, so he can give me things and buy me pretty dresses and pretty jewellery and then you know I only have to shag him once in a while and then get, go off and do my own thing so yeah <laughs> McCarthy shag the gross looking McCarthy with a paper bag over his head um, and marry the king <laughs> and potentially suffocate him in his sleep so that Poland doesn't fall apart Queen Alina of Poland <laughs> hell yeah Charlie, freaking epic. No, did not think of that. Thank you. <laughs> Kill him, then you're the queen. Already having the other. Alex can be my um, general. Mate, I'm, I don't want to be in no Polish army. It's not exactly a <laughs> look good on my CV, is it? He <laughs> could be the drunk bear. Well, can we all come over and be drunk bears? I think Alina would rather have a one night stand with the drunk bear. <laughs> That's McCarthy, yeah. The drunk bear cooks a lovely breakfast. <laughs> yeah. With vodka. Doesn't he have cigarettes as well? The drunk bear's going, oh, not again. 
I believe that the grand finale to this is Beth giving James his options. Oh, here we go. Uh, Before she does that, though, James, tell us who you'd kill. Okay, who I would kill. Well, I've gone for someone Russian. Someone who, although was technically punished, I feel really got away with their crime and got away with what they really deserved. So I've gone with the Daria Saltikova, also known as Salty Chaika, as well. She's basically the Russian equivalent of the Hungarian countess. Um, basically, what happened to Daria is that she married into a wealthy family. She had lots of connections at court. However, she caught her husband cheating on her. And, well, she, well, she caught her husband cheating on her. He died. Uh, she had a lover who then she caught cheating as well. And she nearly beat him to death along with his lover. I think one of them did eventually die. However, after this, she decided to take it out on all her serfs and she would deliberately target children, young girls who are prettier than her. And yeah, she just tortured them in many ways, beatings, sending them out naked into the frost, boiling water over them for no other reason than jealousy. Uh, She was, even though there were complaints to the courts and complaints to the ruling family of Russia, because of her connections at court, she was ne- nothing was ever investigated at first. Nothing was ever brought against her. It was only until two of her serfs managed to escape from her estate and bring a petition to Catherine, who was leading the country at the time. And there's one of these petitioners. He'd lost three of his wives to Daria. And Catherine, who's doing... um a real push on law and order at the time, asked for this to be investigated. So Dario was arrested and kept prisoner in decent conditions for six years, while all her crimes were investigated by the council. And there was eyewitnesses, survivors of what she'd done to them, that sort of thing. And they worked out that could there be up to 138 victims. However, she was only charged and found guilty over 38 of them. She was then imprisoned for life because Catherine wanted to keep the courts on the side, uh, sorry, the nobles on side. She was imprisoned for life in a convent in the cellar, technically in darkness, but which was later upgraded to a cell with a window. However, she was imprisoned there and she never repented and everything, but I feel she really got off easy. I feel that her punishment should also be long-term, that she should be kept alive, that all the wealth she had should have been given to all her serfs, split amongst them. So enough for them to do really well in life, and then that she should be kept alive in the cold, and that she should serve each and every one of them, like she tortured them and everything. Let them all do what they want, torturing-wise. Keep her alive, though, until eventually all of them have had their turn, and then she's just completely executed in the way she killed many of them, in the beaten to death, slowly and painfully. So simple, but effective. Great, but I'm more interested in finding out how Beth's going to torture you. Uh, 
because <laughs> I've been waiting for this all night. Beth has got an evil you know grin. I, I've, I've, been waiting, I've been waiting for this for months. Um, <laughs> I was, uh, you know, like Zach said, you could go for the really obvious choice of, oh, Hitler and Stalin. No, 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 that's too obvious. There's no finesse there. So I went back for a little bit of inspiration and I went back to the down the pub with the sexcapades and I thought, oh, there could be some interesting folks down on that. Oh. And I did pick some people from that. Um, like, uh, you know, Rousseau was a great choice. Dirty Bertie, Edward VII's own choice was, was a good choice as well. And then I thought, now nah, I'm not really that happy with them. So I went for some just hilarious choices because why not? We, um, I even thought of some famous brummies such as maybe Jasper Carrot and Ozzy Osbourne or maybe even just good old fashioned Barry and Paul Chuckle. However, <laughs> No. <laughs> However, I decided to be really evil because I have had enough of the sh- <laughs> Brummy who needs to take the page out of his own book and look at himself very hard when giving me disparaging comments about being from the black country because all he really wants to be is no. from the black country because he no. knows we're better. <laughs> so I have gone for... Shag or marry Ava Braun and Rose West. Both mummies. Brilliant. How do you feel about that really bad impression of a yam yam earlier tonight now, James? <laughs> I am, uh, I am, I, I James, I'm, I'm so evil. Like you all think, you all think I'm this really nice, oh, best lovely, oh, little princess. No. <laughs> no, no, I knew this was coming. Um, so, do, would you do you want to stir Hitler's porridge, or uh, do you want to go with Rose West? Well, you've got to stir Hitler's porridge. <laughs> it's not very much porridge, at least. Yeah, um, half porridge. I think I'm going to do Rose West once, but then marry Ava because technically she was corrupted young by him and fell in love with him young. But if I'm technically marrying her first, then that never happens. And who knows, she could end up being a decent person. I mean, so... really, she, she takes a better photo than Rose West. That's any help. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but if if I marry Rose West, then I'm sort of setting myself up to die. So So you've chosen to repeatedly stir Hitler's porridge, is what you're saying. <laughs> Doesn't say I have to stir it often. So. <laughs> <laughs> and if I get one before... <laughs> Get them before Hitler, save her. <laughs> it, it was a horrible choice. There was no right answer there. It was just. Uh... It was a hor- yes, you're right, James. It was a horrible choice. <laughs> what was the decision in the end? There are no right answers. You see, if this was the other way around, I'd actually be nice to you, Ben. You, know, when you everyone have got done con- nothing but take the shit out of me for months. It was my no. turn. Uh, no, 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 I was nice to you earlier in the week, but you know, when everyone got confused, I thought it was the other way around, like I'd be doing the choices for you. I was give, going to give you nice choices. Okay. No, no, you wouldn't. I'll let you have your little baby. <laughs> no lies here, no lies. No, I actually would have been. Okay. I'll let you have I'll your little baby. It always comes back to the baby juice on his. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, I don't think we need to do around the room tonight, do we? Because we've all had our say in that. Although I suppose we'll quickly go around the room while Holmes and I decide uh, the winners in each category, the best uh, suggestions. 
but if you could, well, let you choose your, forget marriage, we'll let you choose your shag person. Uh, so we'll go around the room. You could, if you could get boned by or bone anyone in history. Clive. Well, with Marilyn Monroe still on the list, I'll bags her then. Okay, then. That. Oh, Jesus! I wasn't expecting you to come to me this quickly. Um, That's what all the girls say to you. <laughs> going to have to think long and hard about this one. Yeah. <laughs> I'd know Cleopatra. I think I'd choose either the first or second Duke of Buckingham. I can't decide. So if I'm in Charles II's time, the Duke of Buckingham, because he's like a, a bastard who writes plays. And if I'm earlier than his father, who was shagging James I, but I think we could have had a good night together. He was hot. So Buckingham's one or two. Kit? I will go for uh, the Byzantine Empress Theodora, um, who not only became a saint and the most powerful woman in the world, but was actually picked out of a beauty contest uh, to become the empress. And she was pri- uh, previously a, uh, a lap dancer and exotic um, entertainer. That so. happened to me, funnily enough. <laughs> <laughs> I love that Kit knew that without even thinking. This is something you've considered before, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Chris White. Can I have Susanna York? <laughs> no. <laughs> In her <laughs> RAF uniform no. as well. She's not, she's not, she's not really his, historical, is she? I think. Not yet, anyway. Uh, maybe Marta Hari, a great spy. Yeah, she'd know a few things. She'd know a few things, wouldn't she? Yeah. Would, yeah. yeah. Chris yeah. Dams, which Germanic woman are you um, going to call? <laughs> Not Turpitz. I, I don't even have to think. I don't even have to think about this. I'm going in hard and fast. Um, Princess Victoria Louise, the Kaiser's daughter, because she's hot. <laughs> you know what? It's long and hard hot. about that, Chris. Did you think long and hard about it? <laughs> no, I, I just went in hard and fast. Lockie. Um, well, I, I guess part of me wants to see what the um, uh, fuss is about with Emma Hamilton. Um, but but word on the street is that she prefers smaller men, so I'm not I'm not <laughs> sure that'll work. Um, I thought I would I thought I had a winner with uh, Louise de Carouet. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, if she's good enough for Charles II, she's probably good enough for me. She she'd like you, Lockie. Yeah, I'm sticking with my one night take as well. Uh, Marcus, is he, are you? I'd be amazed if he doesn't say he wants to be bent over by the Duke of Wellington. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Kind of using Zach's own twisted logic against him, then I'll I'll go for Pauline Bonaparte because then you can kind of look Napoleon in the eye and went, yeah, your sister. Oh, but then would you not be stirring Zach's porridge? <laughs> Again, <laughs> it happens. <laughs> oh, Kate, uh, it's our Nicholas II. After seeing that, he has got a nice bum, hasn't he? I saw that picture when it was first posted, and I was already a little bit interested in him. And then it made me like look at him a little bit more. And he could become an obsession. He Although seems... I might go for the guy behind him in the photo. <laughs> I don't even know who it is. No, I'm, I'm sticking with Nick. 
money, power, and he was beautiful. So Love beautiful. Eggs. Alina? Yeah. Uh, my historical crush is actually kind of creepy a little bit. Well, we're not surprised. But... Well, not surprised. What I'll do, um, I'll send it in the chat. So basically, my granddad's platoon leader, uh, Rafael Portolitsky, he was, oh my God, this guy was, he was aristocratic, the perfect soldier, and absolutely gorgeous. All the women apparently would fall over for him. Sounds like Marcus. I bet you, yeah, I bet you tweet the picture out to us and he's got a head like a potato or something. I have! <laughs> he's absolutely beautiful. He really is. There's the picture. Uh, hold on. Is it just a picture of Mr. Potato? Yeah. So, Alina, your crush is your grandfather's boss? Yeah, pretty much. Okay, cool. James, did you get to do one? I haven't, but I've not really thought about it. So, uh, oh, weirdly enough, I'd say. Would it be easier if I asked you which computer game character you? Rose West. No, <laughs> weirdly enough, I'd go for Lara Marina Rascova. Lara Croft, come on. Marina Rascova. <laughs> Who's that? Um, she helped set up the Night Witches, the all-female bomber squadron. That um, fought in the war, World War Two, one of the Soviet bomber squadrons. But she's also holds the one of the records for, I think it was longest distance travelled in, um, a navigational flight. Which for a woman, she survived for five way. days on her own as well after it crashed. But yeah, just she's always fascinated me. Sounds hot. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, Holmes, before we as everyone got to pick one now, Dorman, you haven't. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's back uh, from the dead. He is back. Florence Nightingale. Uh, <laughs> the other medics. Built, I don't know. Me? No. Um, I think. Well, Eva Braun's taken, so that's my first choice. But um, <laughs> <laughs> that was a joke. Uh, no, to, uh, I'm, I, I want to see what all the fuss is about with Anne Boleyn. Good choice. I mean, if she's good enough to literally end or start a religion over and separate from the Catholic Church, and if Natalie Dormer played her, and she had an extra finger on each hand, which can <laughs> only be useful, not necessary. But the thing she could do with that finger. Right, Holmes. If you had to pick someone, um, I, I would go for the Greek goddess Athena because she sounds like she might be quite fit. And also, her thing is to make make olive trees appear. And anyone who's seen the price of olives over Christmas would know that that's probably a good thing. That's dude, po- dude, possibly that the most middle-aged in... thing I've ever heard you say. That's how the Trojan War starts, though, isn't it? <laughs> well, all I know is that she <laughs> made a... Paris yeah. is literally the start of the Trojan War. Yeah, but, I've, you know, you asked me to pick on a personal basis. I'm not thinking of the consequences. <laughs> and plus, he doesn't, he doesn't want long-term kit. He's just going to bone her. <laughs> I just actually, I just want some olives. We picked our favourites, haven't we, Holmes? In terms of the shag and the marry, our favourite ones that came up tonight. Uh, so tell everyone who do you think the best one night stand is that's come out? The best one night stand has to be Kit and Rasputin. Yes. <laughs> 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 it's going to be a party and a half, isn't it? <laughs> 
there's a whole other side of logistics which I'd love to see as well involved in that one. So uh... yeah, that that's gonna get a lot of fucking hits on YouTube. Uh, and I think my favourite marriage of the night, and I'm sorry, but the idea of Clive, the pastiest, cow- most cowardly, self-professed coward. <laughs> white boy lawyer moving to Angola to uh, be married to a warrior queen in the 17th century <laughs> tickled me. So my favourite marriage tonight that came out of it was uh, Queen Zinga and Clive. <laughs> well, we got like a top three the movie we that. Um, for the best kills that came out tonight. So who was number three? Number three. Number three is Kit. <laughs> With King Leopold the second. Number two. Number two is Kate and Franco. Yeah, I have to say I was marginally surprised at what a dick he was, and I love how she literally thought it out as if she could actually go ahead and do it. Yeah, I've got it planned. Boom. And the best death scene we had tonight it was Lockie with Ludendorff. Yeah, I just torture him with his own failure and then squished by a tank. <laughs> yeah, we like that one. Uh, thanks, guys, very much. Uh, we will reconvene uh, with the old format. We'll be back to normal next time. Uh, don't know what we're going to discuss yet, but we have got the worst historical film ever coming up. I know that. And there's some other suggestions in the pot as well. So join us for those. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 